Welcome back, everybody, to Gamers Talk. That's Gamers with a Z. Um, I'm your host, uh, Gamer M, and with me Hi. is my uh, co-host, Gamer G. And we're here to talk to you about Borderlands 2. Um, this episode is, I will mention, very special to both uh, Gamer G and I, as... Um, this is the first game that he and I have ever played together, um, and this is um, a longtime favorite of both of us, um, which is very understandable uh, considering which game it is. Um, first, uh, we'll do a description of the game, and then we'll move on to the DLCs. Uh, after that, um, we will rate um, do our personal rating on the games, um, and our recommendation level. Um, so let's get started. Borderlands 2 is a 2012 first-person shooter video game developed by Gearbox Software and published by 2K Games, taking place five years following the events of the original Borderlands game, which we discussed in a previous episode. Uh, the game is once again set on the planet of Pandora. The story follows a new group of vault hunters who must ally with the Crimson Raiders, a resistance group made up of civilian survivors and guerrilla fighters, to survive the tyrannical handsome Jack before he can unlock the power of a new vault. The game features the ability to explore the in-game world and complete both main missions and optional side quests, either in offline split screen, single player, or online cooperative gameplay. Like its predecessor, the game features a procedurally generated loot system which is capable of generating numerous combinations of weapons or other gear. With the unexpected success of the first game, Gearbox was able to secure a budget of 30 to 35 million dollars to develop the sequel. Like its predecessor, the game adopted the concept art style, which features graphics inspired by both photorealistic imagery and comic book inspired visuals. The team attempted to address players' feedback from the first game and recruited Anthony Birch, who wrote the game's script, which is seven times longer than that of the original game. Among the game's diverse cast of characters, Handsome Jack, the central antagonist, was created to be a characteristic douche that mirrors Birch's own personality. Borderlands 2 was released for Windows, PlayStation 3, and Xbox 360 in September of 2012 and it was ported to PlayStation 4 and Xbox One as part of Handsome Collection in March of 2014. Um, to continue on to uh, the gameplay section. Similar to its predecessor, Borderlands 2 is a first-person shooter with elements drawn from role-playing video games. Four playable character classes are available in the base game, each with their own unique action skill. Axton, the commando, can summon a turret to provide offensive support. Maya, the siren can face-lock enemies by trapping them in a sphere of energy for a few seconds. Zero, the assassin, can temporarily become invisible and spawn a hologram decoy to distract enemies. Salvador, the gunsurker, can use his uh, titular ability to temporarily dual-wield weapons. Action skills have a cooldown time during which the player must wait before they can use the skill again. Similarly to the original, completing the main story campaign unlocks True Vault Hunter Mode, a new game plus which increases the difficulty of the game by making enemies stronger, improves the probability of finding rare and higher quality items, and allows players to reach level 50. Let's see. Uh, to skip on to the plot. Setting characters. Five years have passed since the events of Borderlands, as, it said, as I said before in the intro. 
when four vault hunters, Rowan, Mordecai, Lilith, and Brick, were guided by a mysterious entity known as the Guardian Angel to the vaults, an ancient alien structure that was rumored to hold exotic technology and riches. On entering the vault, they were instead confronted by an alien abomination known as the Destroyer. After defeating the Destroyer, a valuable mineral called Iridium started flourishing through Pandora's crust. Handsome Jack, president of the Hyperion Corporation, secures this new resource and makes use of it to attempt to bring to attempt to bring peace to the planet. Now, Handsome Jack rules over the inhabitants of Pandora with an iron fist from his maximum space station, Helios. Meanwhile, rumors spread of an even larger vault, drawing a new group of vault hunters who search for it. Like its predecessor, Borderlands 2 features four playable characters, Axton, Maya, Salvador, and Zero. Uh, two additional characters are available from the DLCs. That would be Gage the Mechomancer and Krieg the Psycho. Um, with Gage the Necromancer, um, she comes with the ability to uh, summon a robotic companion um, that can attack and kill uh, enemies. And unlike Axton's turret, it can actually move around the field. Um, and then Krieg uh, has a psycho ability where he can turn into pretty much a badass psycho um, where he goes full melee and does very much increased damage. Uh, let me see. Um, the four playable characters from the first game, Roland, Lilith, Brick, and Mordecai, return in the form of non-playable char player characters. Other NPCs originally originating from the first game and its DLCs include the Guardian Angel, Claptrap, Scooter the Mechanic, Dr. Zed, Marcus the Arms Merchant, Mad Moxie, Crazy Earl, and the insane archaeologist Patricia Janice. New NPCs include the cyborgs hunter Sir Hammerlock, Scooter's sister Ellie, and explosives-obsessed girl Tiny Tina. Now, I won't be reading the story, because for anybody who wants to play it for the first time and experience it, um, I don't want to give anything up to them, uh, so setting a character should do uh, just fine for right now. Uh, but I will move on to the development stage of the game. Following the release of the first Borderlands, developer Gearbox Software was simultaneously working on three distinct projects. Finishing Duke Nukem Forever, creating Aliens, co uh, Colonial Marines, and working on a sequel to the original Borderlands. The initial goal was to create a sequel similar in scale to the first game, but Borderlands' unexpected success enabled the team to expand their budget during the development of Borderlands 2, allowing them to expand their scope and create more content. The development budget grew ultimately grew to thirty to thirty-five million dollars. Paul Hellquist served as the game's creative director, Jeremy Cook as its art director, and Anthony Birch as its writer. Art and design, similar to the first game, Borderlands 2 adopted the concept art style, which features graphics inspired by the love photorealistic imagery and comic book inspired visuals. A lot of this I seem to be rereading. Uh, this was difficult to replicate because the first game was artfully unfinished. Its art style had been switched at the last stage of development with some older visual, des visual designs present in the final product. Uh, to recreate the sense of imperfection and allow for innovation, the art team were given creative freedom while management avoided frequent requests for design revisions. Cook was responsible for creating a loose style guide for the game, and the team accepted work with which deviated from these standards. Team members were also expected from. Let's see, were also encouraged. Apologies, encouraged to submit creations that break boundaries. The design for Zero, a faceless assassin, 
faced scrutiny with from upper management from deviating too much from what was expected from Borderlands, but Cook refused to have the character redesigned as he felt that this design would be something new for the franchise. To add more color to the game, a diverse set of environments were modeled, from glaciers to grasslands, as opposed to the first game, which is set entirely in a desert. With a more colorful world, the team believed that it would encourage players to explore each area. The, through having more vibrant colors and creating various landmarks, the team also thought that it helped to make each area distinct. One of the early objectives for HellQuest was to improve the original game's shortcomings while creating an experience that felt new. A September 2011 survey asked players what they wanted in the new game, and the DLCs for the first game were used to experiment and test what players might enjoy in the sequel. One of the early goals was to create a new set of characters as the team felt that the original cast was too limiting. The team also made various quality of life improvements, such as improving the user interface to make navigating the game's menu menus easier. Menu layout was refined and the team introduced additional environmental clues to better inform players how different areas are connected. Effort was also placed on making each area more dense and alive. They also wanted to improve the game's cooperative multiplayer for, from incorporating private trading of weapons between players to introducing a four-passenger vehicle that a cooperative team could stick together. A shared loot system was incorporated in order to facilitate a collaborative relationship between players. Gearbox also wanted to make unique weapons. The first game utilizes procedural generation to generate different guns, but the differences were not always distinguishable. To solve this problem, the team ensured that each gun manufacturer would have its own distinct gameplay and visual characteristics. To achieve this, each weapon manufacturer has a trademark style that would appeal to different players. For instance, the Mali One brand features weapons inspired by sci-fi technology, while the Doll brand was for players who preferred weapons that were more generally grounded in reality. The differences in the weapon manufacturers mean that players can easily identify the weapons they want to use. The Bandit brand was inspired by Mad Max and Death Race and featured a very home-built look. The Torg brand was influenced by engine blocks and art aircraft designs from the 1940s and 1950s. That's an interesting fact. I didn't know that. In contrast, TDR was the throwaway brand, and the team took inspiration from disposable razors and lighters and cheap GoFoam. Well, that explains why TDR is the way it is. Um, for any of you who don't um, entirely know uh, what the different uh, weapon brands do now, um, allow me to share that information. Um, so, with the Hyperion weapons, um, the gimmick in Borderlands 2 for them was the longer you sh the longer you shot with them, uh, the more accurate they became. Um, the doll weapons, uh, their big thing was more for um, like when you when you aim down the sights with a doll weapon they usually change to three shots um while when you're not aiming down the sights uh they are usually rapid fire um with molly one weapons uh they are always elemental um what else tdr was tdr's is um, usually their weapons kind of sucked, but the cool thing about them is you could throw them at enemies and they would explode, sort of like grenades, except they explode on impact, which I guess some grenades do do. Um, Torg was all, like, an all-explosives, uh, mostly rockets, I think. Um, mm -hmm. Are there any that I'm missing that I not, can't think um, of? There was Jacob's, which was known for its 
highly slow fire rate, but it's amazing accuracy. Actually, um, I don't actually think the fire rate was the problem uh, with, I think with Jacobs, wasn't it just like, you know, none of the guns were rapid fire. Um, not in this game anyways. It was They were all single shot, but you're right. The accuracy on them was incredibly good. Um, but, um, anybody with a trigger finger, um, Jacobs would definitely be the weapon for you. Um, let me think. There was one other weapon brand that I just thought of and I just left. Uh, well, there was Bandit. Right. The Bandit, uh, they have, like, really big clips as their big thing. Yeah. So, yeah. like, a Bandit pistol usually holds about 100 rounds, while a Bandit machine gun holds, like, 300 to 400 um, but they were not accurate at no, all. No, not at all. And their fire <laughs> rates usually weren't the greatest either. So, I mean, bandit weapons are probably one of the le probably one of the least used weapons. Um, the only great bandit weapons were probably shotguns. And even then, the shotguns were still pretty inaccurate, even for shotgun standards. Um, yeah. But that's all the. I think that's all the gun brands. Is it all the gun brands? Let me think. We went over TDR, Mamiwan, Torg, uh, Jacobs, Hyperion. I think that's it. I think that's all for Lance Hill. Yeah. Um, so, that's the information on the guns, um, which they didn't have specific information um, on the page that I'm looking at here. Um, so, uh, all of that was just off the top of our head from when we last played it. Um, let's see, story and characters. As many players complained about the forgettable story for the first game, uh, Birch strived to make the narrative compelling and unique by subverting... Sorry, I lost my, lost my spot there. Um, Burst strived to make the narrative compelling and unique by subverting players' expectations and including a plotline so ridiculous that it cannot be found in any other AAA games. Which, honestly, I wouldn't really call it ridiculous. It was actually a pretty heartfelt story. Um, but oh, I, yeah. I will say it was very original, too. Yeah, well, I mean, oh, yeah. original in the, like, the, the way that like the story could never... like There was no other story really like it. Like, the the main idea behind the story wasn't necessarily super original um but like the the story itself yes was very original this despite the script being seven times longer than the originals the story was not too overbearing on players as the team believed that the essence of the game was about finding progressively more ridiculous guns to blow up psychotic midgets instead of the story i mean yeah <laughs> fair enough fair enough fair enough uh, to achieve this, the team admit, uh, minimized the use of cutscenes and focused on environmental storytelling. Which, now that I think about it, yeah, there were there were some cutscenes, but there weren't a bunch. Um, while the game features a humorous tone, the story retains dark moments to keep players invested. I'm not going to read what's next because it does. Um, kind of ruin the story for anybody who doesn't know anything about Borderlands 2. Um, so I'm just going to leave that part out. Um, but I will say that some parts of the story do really get you very invested. 
um, especially if you played the first game and got like you know attached to players from the first game, you'll become you know more attached to the second game that way. So they take it them heartstrings. Yes, they do. Um, according to the Hellquist, a diverse cast of characters played a huge role in defining defining Borderlands identity. The story is delivered via interaction between these characters rather than text, unlike the first game. Birch's script introduced a large number of new characters, with Birch singling out Tiny Tina and Ellie as the best additions. Which, yeah, I would say that, you know, Tiny Tina, without Tiny Tina and Ellie, the game probably would have been pretty fucking bland. Oh yeah, they were hilarious. Yeah, so. Um, let's see. lost my place again goodness uh that's a long script that i'm reading here uh the team crafted three to five side missions for these characters so the players could better understand their backstories and personalities returning characters especially the playable vault hunters from the first game became major characters in the game's main narrative so that players get to learn more about them and see how they interact with each other series mainstay claptrap returned in borderlands 2 he was initially envisioned to be Arrogant, insulting, profane, similar to his depiction in its web series, which um, I wouldn't say insulting or profane. I'd say more pathetic and loser. <laughs> but that's supposed to be what his character is. Ruins every moment because of, because he just doesn't know how to keep his fucking mouth shut. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, he says he says some pretty insulting stuff. But I mean, he can, he can, very much so. Um, let's see. Uh, however, he was later rewritten so that fans who hadn't seen the shots, the shorts, my bad, the shorts wouldn't be shocked at Claptrap's sudden douchitude in Borderlands 2. Birch, in hindsight, stated that one of his biggest regrets was the inclusion of silenced protagonists, since they felt out of place in a game that features a large cast of eccentric characters and, over, and an over-the-top world. However, when playtesters complained about this, it was already too late for Birch to introduce dialogue for the playable characters because mission scripting had already been finished. To remedy the problem, he added character-specific audio logs to the game, allowing the Vault Hunters to narrate their, ba the, their backstories to the players. Birch initially wrote banter dialogue between the va Vault Hunters, which would trigger when the player left their controllers idle for a while, though this idea was scrapped. To create players' agency and motivation, the team attempted to incorporate a concrete goal and a central villain into the story. Handsome Jack, the game's antagonist, served a purpose and helped remind players that he is a constant threat, the point of the game, and that one of the ultimate goals is to kill him. Jack was envisioned to be a charismatic douche mirroring Birch's own personality, as it was told in the intro. He was a funny, likable antagonist who is hard to outright hate, but nonetheless deserved everything he has coming to him. Birch was inspired by classic villains, including GLaDOS from Portal, nice, and Shodan from System Shock, and stated that he would have to be the protagonist if the story was told from a he would have been the protagonist if the story was told from a different perspective. While Jack has a dismissive attitude in the early section, he becomes more aggressive after the death of his daughter. Oops. Well, we'll just leave the rest of that to, you know, for you guys to figure out. Uh, this was to create a revenge arc to make him more memorable. 
the game is set five years after the first game and in order to show how Jack, who rose to power following the events of the first game, influenced Pandora during this period. So I let slip a little bit, but not enough for you guys, for anybody to know um, what happens or anything. So enough for you guys to find out, though. No, you should have the game. Oh, shut up. Um, which, to be fair, most people who are going to be listening to this have probably already played this game. It did come out in 2014. So if you haven't played the game, I mean, you're <laughs> you're a little behind the times. Let's see. Uh, we're going to go... I guess we can do marketing and release. The marketing and release section. Follow the unexpected success of the first Borderlands creative director, Mikey Newman, stated there was a chance of a follow-up being created. In August of 2011, the game was confirmed entitled Borderlands 2. Uh, this game is re- The game was released... Oh, sorry, this is a 2012 game, not a 2014 game, so that's my fault. Uh, the game was released on September 18, 2012 in North America and on September 21, 2012 internationally. Players who pre-ordered the game get access to the Premier Club, which granted the players additional in-game items, weapons, and access to a fifth character. Publisher 2K Games and Gearbox Software marketed the game heavily prior to its official release. They released a 16-bit demake of the original game on web browser in August of 2012. Another browser-based spin-off game named Mount Jackmore was released for European players in September of 2012. Players who completed the spin-off, which involved shooting a mountain carved with handsome Jack's face, would have a chance to win prizes such as pin badges, figurines, and copies of the game. Gearbox also launched a scheme for players of the original game who could unlock exclusive cosmetic items when they purchased Borderlands 2. Gearbox revealed that they would be honoring a late fan of the game, cancer victim Michael John Mamoril, with the addition of an NPC named after him. Yep. Um, the... Uh, whole um mount jackmore i had no idea about but i guess me here in america we didn't have access to it either it's all european so interesting detail that even myself and gamer g didn't know the game was ported to various platforms aspire media published the game on november 20th 2012 for mac os systems so um apple computers more or less um, Gearbox partnered with Iron Galaxy Studios to release a PlayStation Vita version in May of 2014. Vita's cross-save allows PS3, PlayStation 3 player players to transfer their progress to the Vita. Interesting. Um, let's see. Uh, skip, skip, skip. A VR version was released in 2018, December 14th. Uh, for PlayStation VR. Um, anything else that we should read out of here? Uh, Gearbox hoping to, con- to continue engagement with the community following the game's release. It introduced the Shift Rewards program. Codes are released on various social media sites and forums that can be redeemed in the Borderlands 2 main menu for Golden Keys, which can be used to open the sp- the special golden chest that is located in the tribal station in Sanctuary. When open, the chest randomly produces rare equipment of the redeeming player's level. Shift codes can also be used to redeem special skins. A loot hunt community event was launched October 2013, 
in which players completed daily community goals to unlock special guns for a prize to win a or for a chance, apologies, for a chance to win a $50,000 grand prize. Wow. Where are we? Gearbox will also release two companion apps. The official map app displays the map layout and reveals locations of various hidden chests, while Loot the World gives players a QR code which can be scanned to unlock in-game loots. That was a good one. I did not know these existed. Oh yeah, Loot the World was a nice one. I assume it's no longer up? No. Sadly, no. I wish it was. I wonder if the official map app is still up, though. Probably not. I might actually check for that right now. Let's see. The official map app. Nope. That does not... It is not on there anymore. So, for anybody who, you know, thinks about trying to get those apps they are no longer available um i I mean it has been quite a few years so it's understandable okay so before we move on to the downloadable content um i guess gamer g and i can discuss our experiences with the main game and more or less uh give our review on it um, Gamer G, would you like to go first? Absolutely. Dude, I, I remember the first time, like, I got into it. The first time I even, like, heard about the Borderlands 2, I was just, I was so excited. That day, I, me, I yelled at my mom and dad to give me the GameStop so I could pre-order that stuff. It was the, one of the best decision, decisions I ever made when get World Gaming. And, man, just the characters being able to play as Salvador, the Gunzoker, holy moly. I do know, you know the, how to work. The Gunzoker is your oh. favorite character, I know that. You know how to work him? My, you are not going to have a rough time. I mean, I will admit, Zero, Zero Steffi got me my least favorite. Mainly because I don't really know how to work them. Like, with any of these kill tricks, guys, if you know how to work them, they will be the best characters. If you don't, they be they will be your worst nightmare, to be honest. I will give everybody fair warning that if you decide to try and play a zero, beware, you're going to be in for quite a challenge. Because to fully, you know, comprehend how to use zero skills is decently difficult. Um... I, you know, I know how to use his skills properly. Um, heck, if if you have the right skills, I mean, you can you can one shot um, quite a few of the um, like the the invincibles are like the big bosses even. Um, big bosses. Yeah, yeah, like any yeah any of like the like, I mean, technically raid bosses. I mean, but. Um, with a a certain a certain gun, and a certain skills, zero can one shot just about anything. But it's difficult, and you have to get down the right trees and do the right things. You have to be the right level. You can't just you know 
willy-nilly, oh, I'm going to select this upgrade because it seems cool. you got to go down the right trees. Now, I would advise anybody who's playing the game for the first time, don't do that starting out. You want to go with a simpler character, um, such, such as Axton um, and Gage are the two best starter characters, in my opinion. Mostly because they have they have some summonable equipment. Instead of skills that you have to use, it's simply just oh I'm gonna throw out a turret or oh, I'm gonna summon my robot and then they do everything. Um, that's the best starter. And they can become really powerful. Like with Axton and his turret, uh, if you go down the right trees, um, you can summon two turrets that shoot slag. Um, which uh, I believe we went over the elements in the first, uh, the first we, episode. Uh, we did, but we did not talk about slag because that slag was not a thing in Borderlands. That's right. You're right. Um, so... Now slag, guys. Slag is a is a creation of the iridium that came from the vault monster in the first game that makes you naturally weaker to enemies. Like, you shoot slag at someone, anything you hit them with now, is, they're naturally weaker against. They'll still resistance against them, some stuff, but they will die a lot easier with slag. So, for a good example, um, say all you have is fire and slag weapons and you're going against robots, you shoot them with the slag weapon first, they're slagged, um, which they give off like a kind of a purple kind of uh, smoky aura around them. Um, then you turn to your fire weapon. Fire weapons naturally don't deal a lot of damage to you know any type of like robotic or armored enemies, but it will deal more damage because they are slagged. So slag is actually a really useful um, element to have like anything with you. Um, I would actually recommend slag grenades. Because then you oh, can yeah. just throw a grenade, then use whatever elemental weapon you have on them. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I slag is, you know, extremely useful. Um, but, you know, back to the discussion on hand, um, with all the other elements we're not already discussed in the previous episode, which I would suggest anybody who hasn't listened to it, please go listen to it. Um, because it does discuss the prequel to this game. Um, and, I mean, with listening to any type of series, you always want to try and start with part one, which is what I would consider that. Um, but, uh, anyways, back to topic at hand, talking about Axton. Um, he's got a skill tree you can go down where you can summon the turret, and it literally nukes the field. Like, it, it's... It, 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 it explodes when it drops. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't harm you in any way, but it, it can kill enemies around you. So if you need like a really quick, you know, oh, I'm, I'm in trouble and they're all surrounding me, I need to get them off me, drop your turret. Um, so Axton's really good starter. Um, Gage with the Necromancer um, with Death Trap. Uh, Death Trap is extremely... Uh, I Honestly, my personal favorite is Gage uh, with yep. the... Uh, with Death Trap, um, and Death Trap, if you upgrade him correctly, he's very powerful. Um, he's got he's got his claws to start out with, which he uses for the most part. Um, but he can get certain abilities, like he can clap, he can cause an explosion with his clap. 
um, he can launch off like an electrical beam. Um, there's a tree you can go down where you can make it to where you can shoot him with a certain element and he becomes that element. Now, there are only really two trees that really give Death Trap anything. There is a third tree called the Anarchy Tree with Gage. Now, the Anarchy Tree is one of the trees that, you know, if you're going to go down it, you have to be careful uh, because Anarchy can work for you and against you. I usually yeah. don't touch the Anarchy Tree, but for people who are less interested in using Death Trap and more interested in making Gage more powerful, I would definitely recommend uh, at least trying out the Anarchy Tree because what it does is it stacks different abilities, or it gives you stacks of Anarchy which boost certain abilities. Um, and which can make Gage a more powerful fighter, so that way you're not relying on Death Trap so much. Um, but otherwise, if you're a beginner, just starting, just getting ready to play it, um, my biggest recommendation is Axton, but my second recommendation is definitely Gage. Um, because, yeah, Death Trap is a little overpowered, and I'm pretty sure it was... I think I started with Zero originally, but I only played him to level 6, uh, my first official character that I ended up getting to level 50 and, you know, really playing and working with was Gage. And I really, I really enjoyed playing with her because, again, Death Trap can really become unstoppable at certain points. You know? I mean, there, there's an ability, there, you can get on a tree and give Death Trap the same shield you use. I mean, imagine if you're, you know, carrying a really good shield. Um... But, anyways. I mean, I mean, also, to really um, put out there how beast he is, there is also an ability where every time you get a kill or he gets a kill, it adds the time that he's out. So, oh, yes. he can be out almost 24-7 when killing enemies, which would is what makes him truly dangerous. Yes, very much so. Um, and there are certain fights where um, there are a lot of, like, ads or, um, like, you know, uh, like, just minion characters when you're fighting a boss. Um, and Death Trap will kill those off. Um, or you can kill them off. But as long as they keep dying, Death Trap's uh, time duration extends more and more and more there have been times where i've had death trap out for hours and i think it was the final boss fight because all the racks flying around in the air death trap oh, yeah. just keeps electric like you know every i would i'd shoot him down or death trap kept electrocuting him he just sit, sat there for hours i you could sit and farm xp that way you know, yeah it's, it's it's simple um but yes um anyways yes those are the two that i definitely recommend as starter um uh, Gamer G's favorite is the uh, Gunzerker, which All I right, love him. Let me talk about this man here. As as my as a game M here said earlier, um, the Gunzerker is uh, his special thing is he can dual wield for a short time. Now, once again, he does have an ability. The more kills he gets, the longer that goes. Um, which, honestly, he's probably one of the best, uh, late-game characters to have, because then you can always have a slag gun on you, 
Um, but he has a God. He has he has um ability where the longer you hold the trigger, like legitly, the faster the bullets go. Like you could be out of a crit in like like two seconds, but do amazing damage. And I think the the best part about him is the the class mod. There is a class mod in the game called the Hordor class mod. If you play as Salvador, I highly recommend it, because then you won't have to worry about ammo, and that can kill you in some boss fights, because there, there are some pretty tanky bosses. Um, but not to mention, he's just, he's just a badass. I mean, he's got a uh, ability called Money Shot, where I can't remember if it was the first or the last bullet, but one of them, like, he basically shoots a coin, and it does, like, crap ton of damage. It's only, like I said, either the first shot or the last shot. Can't remember. And... In, in hindsight, he doesn't sound as badass as uh, having a, a death trap, but I mean, he can go through an area and you can be guns open the whole time if you got the right stuff going. And he's, he's just a dangerous man. Um, you want to talk about the siren and I'll talk about Psycho after? Um, yeah, sure. Um, so the siren... Um, I've never really actually played as the Siren much myself, um, but the, well, I, I know enough about the Siren that I could give a, a decent description about her. Um, with, the, with the Siren, um, her main ability is, uh, phase casting, so she can trap enemies in the air, um, and that, you know, they can't do anything while they're trapped there, so... They have to, uh, well, I mean, they, they just have to sit there and take whatever bullets you soak into them. Um, of course, with that, uh, her abilities do allow you to um, upgrade that. Um, even at some points, I'm pretty sure uh, there's an upgrade for the Siren where you can shoot downed allies and instantly revive them that way. Uh, oh, yeah. Which, which is nice. Very nice. Well, phase block them. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, don't, sh yeah, I guess you phase lock allies and it revives them, um, which can be extremely useful in certain situations. Um, I'd say the Siren is definitely more of, like, a supportive role. Um, oh, Siren, yeah. uh, I would definitely recommend the Siren for, like, you know, if you're playing with friends and you would just want to be, like, a supportive in the background. Um, she's not bad to play single player, you know, um, I just, I haven't played her very much. Uh, the Siren is Maya. Um, she is, uh, I mean, her character, like, background and everything, very badass. Um, but, you know, her herself in the game, I have to say, um, she is probably one of the, one of the weaker characters to play as, um, in all honesty. Even when you upgrade the abilities, I mean, her ability doesn't, you know, her ability doesn't really do damage. Uh, it's more of like a, uh, like I said, it's more of like a support you know, um, so like you're fighting a big boss, you know, and you're you're having a hard time, you know, getting a shot on or something. She can phase cast it and stop it. That helps a lot. 
It does, um, but you know, just like general, like her ability doing any damage or anything. On, it doesn't work on everybody. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. So, but. Um. I mean, that's uh, the like I said, the the siren is really just more of a a support rather than anything else so but i mean like i said you know if you guys um if you i mean if you, if you guys want to be like a support character you know like you play certain things and you're you know uh, a big f you know a big fan of being the support player um you know say you play D D, you know you're a big you know you're if you, you play cleric mostly support character you know um, then I would definitely suggest the siren for you. Uh, otherwise, I mean, she might be one to test out when you played all the other, when you played other characters and you get bored. You want you know play a new one, different experience. You know, besides that, I I wouldn't really recommend her to newbies. You know, um, just starting out, I just don't feel like you're gonna have as good of a time with her as you would with other other characters. Um, that's just my personal opinion. Some people out there may really love playing the siren. You know, I, I hell, I, I know that there are some people out there that kind of do, you know, but, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's totally, you know, on you guys, what you decide to do. Um, but anyways, I'll let you, um, go continue on with, um, yours and, uh, what you uh, were, which character you were going to go with next. I think you said you were going to do the psycho. I was going to talk about the psycho. Yeah. Psycho. That's right. Yep. Um, but um, I will have to go real quickly. Um, since I have played the Siren fully, she does have some other abilities. Like, uh, when she face locks a certain enemy, you can actually, like, mind control that enemy for a moment. Um, she ha- you can also make it to where when you face lock them, it brings in any other enemies. It uh, kind of launches a cloud of poison around it. It slags the enemy. I mean, like you said, very, very support, but she she can can be a lot of fun to play with. And if there's a bunch of like a bunch of ads, she she's pretty useful. She's pretty useful in helping take care of them. Um, that's all I can remember from her. So I will go ahead and get on to the Psycho. <clears throat> now, Psycho, like everyone else, has three, has one main ability with three trees. The first, uh, the first one is all about, kind of like, uh, kind of like Gage's Anarchy tree. Um, it's all about stacking. The higher stack, whatever, um, I forget what whole, his stack is, but the higher it stacks, I think the more uh, durable you are, the more damage you do with guns and melee. And then you got my, um, uh, I don't know what the the cloud the uh, tree's called, but it's where you get to like thirty percent health. You can be, you can become a super badass psycho, which then you mutate and 
you do even more damage than you usually do with the uh, Psycho. And then there was the, the Fire one, which is all about doing bonus damage when caught on fire. He was one of my favorites. Like, his, uh, every kill tour has a, most of the kill tours have a melee override, which means, like, uh, a certain melee you can do, like, every 30 seconds. You can still melee all the time, but it's just a special one. Like, uh, Salvador's, he legitly looks like he's trying to fist you. <laughs> as good as that sounds, uh, Gage's, she, like, kind of scratches you like she's Catwoman or something. Um, I don't know if the Siren has one. Uh, Zero has one, but you, you can only use it when in Deception, I think. It's he, he teleport, he kind of dashes forward, kind of like a badass samurai and slices. Um, and the Psychos is he, uh, he spits fire. Yeah. Um he he's a he's a very badass character. Um and you can make it to where instead of when you go down, you are sitting there using your gun to try to get back up. He legitimately runs around those dynamite until he gets back up. You kill someone with dynamite, you get back up. He is like sometimes the dynamite ain't even the perk of the ability. Like, this one, sometimes I've gotten down because I'm a very reckless gamer. When I go into things, I do damage and I don't really look at my health. Sometimes I do, but it's too late usually. Um, I usually end up running back to my teammates while I'm trying to throw dynamite at enemies and then they revive me. That's, I mean, He's definitely not a kill tool you want to start out as. I think probably the best late game characters are easily probably... Well, honestly, uh, Salvador, which is the gun so for Axon, which is Commando, Gage, the Necromancer, and Zero, the number, as they call him. He doesn't have he doesn't have a uh, a nickname. Um, but I think that's a decent uh, overview of the um playable characters. Um, just honestly, uh, I I would love to say Krieg is a late game character, but it just don't get me wrong. There's some people out there that they know how to do it real well, and he will beat the crap out of everyone. Same with uh, Maya. Like like you said, it's to everyone. Me, I'm more of a, a damage guy, so that's why I'm a Gunzo King. And obviously my buddy here, he needs a, he needs a teammate all the time. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Alright, let's continue on here. <laughs> yeah, um, so, um, with all of that discussed out of the way, um, tell me, Gamer G, uh, what would you rate 
um, this the the main game. I'm not talking about any of the DLCs. Just just the main game. Um, the main game. Yeah, yeah, the main game without any of the DLCs attached to it or anything like that. Just just some straight main game with the original four characters and all. I'm gonna have to go out of ten out of ten, man. Like I, after playing the first game and going into the second one, not saying anything about the story, but uh, I mean, just oh, there there were some there were some moments that it, it took me by surprise, and just like like any good villain. God, I hated that. I loved Handsome Jack so much. Like he he Borderlands Two definitely my favorite character. No one else. All right. Um. Well. Um. I'll go ahead and give my rating, which I have to say. Um. I agree. I would give it. I would definitely give it. Um. A. Well. I would give it a 9.9 out of 10. And the reason I don't give it a 10 out of 10 is because, and this is just, you know, I mean, this is me, like, loving the game. I mostly don't give 10 out of 10 ratings, um, you know. Fair enough, fair enough. You know, from the beginning to the end of this podcast, however many episodes we make, more than likely, there will not be, there will be very few, if any, uh, 10 out of 10 ratings from me on any game. Um, and I put this at a 9.9 um, because it is a very fantastic, unique, cl- well, now classic. You know, it's it's 10 years old this year, you know? Oh, We're getting God. old. <laughs> We're getting old. But um, this game will always be timeless to me, you know? I will always absolutely, you know, be in love with this game you know i have it downloaded at all times for any time i want to play it um and i just i nothing will ever feel the same way to me as this game does and it is it is beautiful it is gorgeous it is very very much um you know open world explorative i i i love it i love every bit of it um, I give it a 9.9 because there are a few things that could have they, they could have made a little better. Um, and it, it's it's small stuff, um, small bits about the gameplay. Um, I feel like they could have one thing, the one thing that really kind of irks me is the, um, the, the, the the drop rate for rares, you know, for like for oranges more or less. Um, it's yeah, legendaries. Um, it's, it's too low for me. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't think Legendary should just drop willy-nilly, you know, like they did in the first one, or the updated first one anyways. Um, but at the same time, I've had entire playthroughs, like, you know, getting to level, I've gotten to, you know, level 61 with a character, and I didn't get my first Legendary drop until I was level 37. Level 37. Now, I just... I feel like... I mean, yeah. There are guns that you can use in place of legendaries that are good. You know? Yes. But yeah. I don't think that I should have to wait so long for a legendary to drop because the drop rates are so low. And I know that once you get into 
you know, like the true vault under mode, ultimate vault under mode, the drop rates increase, but not really by enough. You know, I just, I, I feel like, you know, they should have, you know, dropped more. Um, and I think that they're, I think that the, like they, they did put in quite a bit of legendaries, but I think there could have been a few more, not too much, not too much, you know? Um, but like just a couple more legendaries. So there's a little bit more of a unique, uh, like, like a uniqueness between them. Um, you know, a little, little more like, you know, um, like instead of farming this one, you know, boss for this specific one, you farm this boss for, you know, two or three different ones that could pop out of it, you know, um, just a little more diversities among the legendaries, a little more of an amount. Um, but that's, that's the only, that's the only complaint I have. And that complaint is honestly really, it doesn't amount to squat because, you know, you don't need legendaries to beat the game. You don't need legendaries to be good. You can be just fine with, you know, common weapons. You know, I'm sure there are people that go through their their entire game, their entire you know game, using only common weapons. You know, it's all based on your skill rather than the weapons you have. Yes, better weapons are good. They're always they're always good to have, but you know, that's just that that's the only again that's the only complaint that I have at all. It's just it's just the drop rate, really. You know, I don't even care about the you know the amount of selection between the legendaries. It's it's just the drop rate, honestly. Um, and but, I mean, that's such a it's such a small thing to me. Again, it only takes it down by point one points on my rating. I still give it a nine point nine because this game, again, just a, a a timeless classic in my eyes. You know, um, and I always you know every time I look at the game. I just feel absolute nostalgia, you know, and I, I can't believe it's it's going to be 10 years this year since this game dropped, you know, it's just, it's, it's going to be crazy. Yeah. You know, um, it, it really tugs at my heartstrings thinking about that, thinking about how, how much time has gone by, you know, um, and I mean, yeah great great game uh, i would definitely oh. i would 100 percent um I, I would really play this at any time to be honest i mean you know with any game you know you play it so much you get bored of it you know but this game to me is one of the few games that i could pick up and play at any time and not be like why the hell am i playing this you know like i just i, I agree and and the story you know, the story is so unique, it's different. But I'm I'm rambling on, so I probably need to stop so we can continue on. So. I will admit, I do have you 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 were talking about them. I do have one thing. I'm gonna go ahead and cut mine down to a to to the same because there was one big part of the of the game that just. It, it irked me a little bit, and that is the late game struggle of always having to have slags. Yeah, um, the, you're, you're, you're talking about like ultimate vault hunter mode, one. aren't you? You know what? I, I I guess I am. I guess when I think of like um, the story, I'm thinking of the story in normal. True Vault Hunter mode and Ultimate Vault Hunter mode, which I think we should 
before we get into the DLCs, talk about like the the downloadable stuff that comes that is part of the regular story, just part of the whole game. Okay. Um, which actually it's up here in the top of the description anyways. Um, so um the first pack um which was the ultimate vault hunter upgrade pack um first of all it raised the level cap from 50 to 61 and it added a new playthrough called the ultimate vault hunter mode um and it did come with uh gauge well it didn't come with gauge um gauge is technically by herself but usually people who got the ultimate vault hunter upgrade pack did get gauge with it yeah um, because they came out they are they i mean they came out gauge came out a little earlier she came out october 16th of 2012 and the ultimate vault hunter pack um came out um like march of 2013 but usually again by the time people got the ultimate vault hunter upgrade pack they got gauge as well or they had gauge um but yeah it raised the level cap and it added a new playthrough um so it just added on to the story allowed you to play another another playthrough where you could level up more and more um it didn't really add much else beyond that um it was it, i think it was mostly for people who were just looking for a bigger challenge you know looking for like a like a, a playthrough where it leveled with you because yeah. in regular mode and true vault hunter mode, they didn't really level with you. Um, they were at a, they were most levels were at a preset most most enemies were at a preset level in those two playthroughs um, that um, could that that you could you know easily overpower you know if you kept doing side quests or whatever you could easily you know pass their level by quite a bit. Um, but Let's see. Uh, the next pack, um, the Psycho Pack, contained Krieg. So they added Krieg. Um, it looked like May 14th of 2013. Um, he actually, Krieg, was not included in the season pass. You had to buy Krieg separately. Yep. Uh, that was that was back Xbox 360 days for you know anybody. You know, listening and you know thinking, oh well, you know the handsome collection. You know, uh, it it comes with everything. Yeah, that's we're talking back Xbox 360 where everything was very separated uh, before they ported it over into the handsome collection where you can't you got the game and all the DLCs and you know a graphics upgrade pack where you could play it in 4K if you have you know One X or you know the Series X. Um, and I'll tell you what, it was very financially challenging. Um, I it was it was a long time before I could get any of this stuff. Honestly, I don't think I actually got any of like the DLCs or anything. Um, like owned, I played them because you know I went over to Gamer G's house all the time and played it. Um, but I never actually owned any of that stuff until I got my Xbox One and bought the handsome collection. Um, so. I mean, it, it got pretty expensive back then, especially when you had to buy everything separate like this. Nowadays, they've got, like, you know, oh, well, every game that's going to have any type of DLC comes out in Ultimate Edition. We didn't have that back then. Yeah, believe me, I know. Oh, uh, I know you know. <laughs> and it's mostly because, you know, back then, the the 
buying stuff through like game stores, like online game stores, so like like you know on Xbox through the, through the you know Xbox, you know the the game store or whatever, um, you know you could buy it just right there on your Xbox and download it. It wasn't wasn't big back then. You know, they had an online store, but first of all, it didn't sell a whole lot besides, you know, extras for your avatar. That was really the big sell point there. Um, most people were still buying the disc, you know, because, I mean, that's – it was easier to do that than it was to download because, you know, I'm also thinking back then my, you know, first ever Xbox had like four gigabytes hard drive. It had a four gigabyte hard drive that was installed in there. And I, my goodness, I look back at that and it's like, my God, how did I download anything on that? Because I've got, you know, my Series X has got a one terabyte drive, you know? Um, most people who wanted to, you know, who bought games, they had to buy, you know, extra storage devices. So, yeah, you got you got the disc, and the disc, unless you bought a Game of the Year edition of something, didn't come with the DLCs. I'm rambling again. That's what I do. That's what I'll do most episodes. So, anybody who's annoyed, go ahead and leave. <laughs> I wouldn't blame you. But... Um, yeah. So, the fact that he wasn't included in the season pass back then must have been a pain for a lot of people. Not that he probably would have been that expensive, but... I, I mean, think back in the day, he was 15. Really? Because I thought Gage was only yeah. like 8 bucks. Well, you see, Gage was originally a pre-order bonus. True. And then I they, don't because they allow people to get her until the ultimate. Because I don't remember ever seeing her in the store until the ultimate. I think you're right. I, th I think you're right about that. Um, yeah, I think Gage... Oh, because it says here that she was available for purchase um, on October 16, 2012. So, I mean... Okay. The, with the pre-order, she would have been available back in, you know, September. Um... <laughs> But, well, let me think. Um, let, me, let me go back. Was it September 2012 that this came out? I love that I don't, yeah, that's September 2012. I, don't, I love that I don't remember that. We're talking oh, about the it year. Right yeah. Um, but, like, September of 2012 is when the game came out. You know, I'm, I'm sure that after a month, people were like, hey, we want Gage, but we weren't able to pre-order the game, so... And plus, again, you think about it, a lot of people got it on disc, they didn't get, you know, they didn't pre-order pre the game, they bought it when it came out on, on, on the disc. So a lot of people didn't get gauged, so they thought, oh, well, a good way for the company to make money is to release that. So, she was available for purchase on October 16th of 2012, um, but like I said, soon after, when the Ultimate Vault Hunter upgrade pack came out in March of 2013... I'm sure that a lot of people probably bought her and the up upgrade pack um, together for the most part. Because I think she was like involved in that bundle in a way or another. I remember when I first got the game, which I had to sneak by because, you know, you know teenagers back then, my mother was like, no, you can't play Reddit M games, but that's a story. That's a story for something else. Don't that's even talk about you. it here. But um, I had to sneak by the game. I remember getting on the store in-game and actually buying Gage, too, um, like, separately. And back then, you, it wasn't with, like, money. You bought points, and you used those points to buy her. 
They have the convoluted system they didn't even need in the first place. God. You're right. Um, but the uh, the last real main story pack to release was the Ultimate Vault Hunter Upgrade Pack 2. It had the Digistruct Peak Challenge, which was released September 3rd, 2013. The DLC increases the level cap from 61 to 72 and introduces the Digistruct Peak Challenge, a new map where Patricia Tannis will let players fight high-level enemies to earn new loot. Um, the game's Game of the Year edition and the Season Pass also bundled the base game with four add-on campaigns. Um, but anyways, back to the Digistruct Peak Challenge. So, it doesn't really explain it here, but we can easily explain it. Um, when you beat the main game in Ultimate Vault Hunter mode and you reached level 72, you could do the Digistruct Peak Challenge to... Um, level up again. But it wasn't like, you know, you got to level 73. It was, uh, what did they call it? Levels. OP levels. Yes, uh, OP. So you start, you know, OP1. You go up, you can go up to OP7. Um, me, I, you know, I've never really seen the fun in doing the Digistreak Peak Challenge and getting OP levels. And I'm not saying that isn't a, like a bad thing. I'm saying that it never really appealed to me because it's like, well, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't really, you know, change anything. Um, I think the only thing it really did was allowed, like it, it increased the, the, uh, chances of more rare loot to drop as you gain an OP level and they would drop at your OP level. But now, go ahead. Now I, I, I will go ahead and, uh, button here it I, I I've done quite a bit of the peak um, like he like you said all the enemies in that are they're, they're basically digitized enemies you probably already fought as you go up they let's say you level level 72 you go to OP1 all the enemies are 73. 2, 74, uh, you know, so-called, so-called. So-called, so-called. So once you get to, like, 7, every enemy is almost like a skull on your map. Well, not map, on your crosshairs. But they also give increased XP. Why? I don't know, because you're already the max level. But either way... They do uh, increase the realty of getting legendaries and pearlescence. Ah, uh, yes, pearlescence. A whole different thing. There are, as we probably should have mentioned, um, they did add a couple realities. Um, pearlescence war in the fourth game. There is the the common uncommon. Well, common, which is white, uncommon, which is green, rare, which is uh, blue, the epic, I think, I think they're called epic, I might be wrong, um, which is purple, legendaries, which is orange, and then you got pearlescence, which are like a, uh, a teal, and then you got serif, but serifs, you don't, 
you don't, uh, you don't, like, uh, they don't drop. I don't, actually, no, I guess there are a couple that do drop. They're mostly, uh, something you can buy from a certain vendor, which we'll talk about later. Um, but, back to the OP. Um, which, once again, I guess it's really the OP levels that agitated me about the game. Because as you got higher and higher, you really needed the swag. And you needed something to keep your health up. Which, it, and it just, it got repetitive. They tried to fight it, fight the repetitive, because as you went up, the kind of, you, there was different routes you took as you got higher in the OP levels in the, uh, in the peak, and certain enemies would change. And there's actually a couple enemies you don't actually see nowhere else in the game besides peak. Like, there was, like, a spider tank-looking thing. Um, I will um, go ahead and say um, that I really feel like uh, the Digistruct Peak isn't for people who are into, like, the stories or, like, in, like, the, um, like, quests or anything like that. I think the the uh, Digistruct Peak is for people who are looking for more of a challenge, um, looking to really push, you know, to see if you can't, you know more or less you know become the most powerful who you possibly could in the game um it just makes the game a lot more difficult uh makes enemies a lot stronger um and so on and so forth um i just i, th I don't think it's for um uh like i said i don't think it's for like you know players who you know play the game for like the story and stuff like that like me I play the game for the gameplay and the story. I don't necessarily play games for the challenge. Now, certain games, yes, I play for the challenge. You know, because that that's the point of certain games that I play. Um, which, I mean, we'll get into when we end up discussing those games later on down the line. Um, but for this game, specifically for any type, any Borderlands game, really, I don't ever really play these games for any type of a real, like, challenge or anything. I like to play these games for the story and the, the the gameplay you know um and it, it that that that's what makes it fun to me which is why i never really found interest in the digi uh, Digi peak challenges um but back to the uh pearlescence um there are only let's see one two three four five six seven eight twelve pearlescence in borderlands 2 um the first eight um, were from the uh, from the first um, ultimate vault hunter upgrade pack. Um, there was one from each manufacturer, so there was the one from Doll, uh, the one from oh, by the way, one manufacturer we forgot about was Vladoff, um, which you know to go back on earlier Vladoff. Um, Vladoff's guns are based around fire rate. They had an incredibly high fire rate. Um, they're also, well, I mean, they've got the, you know, the hammer and the sickle on them. They're very, they're, they're supposed to be Russian guns. Um, so anybody who's a communist will enjoy using them. I'm just kidding. I'm not a communist and I enjoy using Vladoff weapons as a joke. Um, but, um. Like I said, each of the manufacturer has their own 
pearlescent weapon. Uh, Dahl has an assault rifle called Bearcat. Jacobs has a pistol called the Unforgiven. Hyperion has the shotgun, has a shotgun called oh. the Butcher, which... Oh, God. The Butcher. The only pearlescent I've ever gotten is the Butcher. And yes, I will tell you this much, it is so powerful, it's it's incredible. Um, but Malawan has a sniper rifle called Storm. Tidior has a submachine gun named Avenger. Vladoff has a pistol named Stalker. Bandit has an assault rifle named Sawbard. Torg has a rocket launcher named uh, Tunguska. Or Tunguska. I don't know how to pronounce that. Tunguska. Um, but the last four pearlescent weapons came with the Ultimate Vault Hunter Upgrade 2 pack. Um, so this, it's the second upgrade pack. And these only come from tubby enemies of level 61 or greater. The other eight can drop at any point. Um, but really, you want to be at least level 50 before you get any pearlescents. Anything lower than that, I mean, yeah, it's great to find get pearlescents at that time. Um, and they and can... They get quickly replaced. Yeah, very much so, because you level up so fast. But once you get to like level 50, and you start leveling up slower and slower... A pearlescent level 50 will last you until level 60 because pearlescents are so strong. They'll last you 10 levels. Um, yeah. These last four uh, pearlescents, uh, there's two Jacobs. There's a Jacobs assault rifle named uh, Becca and a Jacobs sniper rifle named Godfinger. There's a Malawan pistol named Wonderlust and a Torque shotgun named Carnage. Now, the only one that I know anything of is the Butcher. I got a level 31 Butcher, so I mean, my Butcher wasn't great. But still, I got a pearlescent, so obviously it's still, you know, in a vault somewhere in one of my characters because I refuse to, I refuse to lose it. I thought <clears throat> I could have swore there was another pearlescent called the uh, the Patriot. Cause I'm, I know it's not a legendary. Maybe it's a seraph. It might be a seraph. I think it's a seraph oh. because it's not, it's not in the original oh. Borderlands or in Borderlands Two. Oh yeah, and seraphs are pink. Yes, um, but Seraphs you can only get from the DLCs. Um, they only drop from any, like, the raid bosses. Um, or you could buy them with Seraph Crystals, which you have to get by defeating raid bosses. So, but some of them, some of those uh, weapons are really good, which, by the way, should mention, you can't get Seraph Crystals from raid bosses until you hit True Vault Hunter mode. And then, at that point, they won't drop Seraph Crystals if you go to Ultimate Vault Hunter mode before fighting them in True Vault Hunter mode. So, if you're wanting to fight them at level 50, then you have to, you're going to have to level up, or you're going to have to get friends with really good weapons to join you um, before you take them on trying to get Seraph Crystals or Seraph Weapons at that, at that section. But, um, I think most people usually don't start getting their Seraph stuff until Ultimate Vault Hunter mode anyways, and then they just farm. Um, which isn't a bad strategy. But, um, those are all the, like, the rarities, which, um, yeah. Uh, so, Ser so, in order, it goes white, green, blue, purple, orange, um, the Seraph pink, and then Pearlescent. Pearlescent is the best, which is, like, a light sky blue. Um, but... 
it's, yeah, pearlescents are extremely difficult to get your hands on. I, um, let's put it this way, boys and girls. Like, legendaries, they're, I, I, I'm, I'm like a big, big, big Borderlands 2 game war. But I still never gotten all of them. Pearlescents, I've maybe gotten, out of the ones he just mentioned, I think I remember having the Becca and the Butcher. But I'm a shotgun guy, period. So the Butcher is naturally my favorite. Yeah, no, the and that's the only one that I've ever gotten is the Butcher. Which I got, we we killed a random, and I think it was a, I think it was just a random tubby that we came across um, in a wildlife preserve. A random uh, tubby stalker. I, actually, I, it was either random or it was the uh, the four, like... Oh, the looters. Yeah, yeah the, those the four. Loot, the loot ones. I think that might be it, too. Yeah, I think I might have gotten some loot ones. And I was, that, yeah, I, that, I, like, I, I, I looked at it, and I thought, I think I thought it was a white, so I was just like, screw it, I passed on. And then you're like, hey, there's a pearlescent here. And I'm like, what? <laughs> That's a pearlescent? That- that is the, I will say, if you ever go hunting for pearlescence, doctor's orders, don't complete that mission. That's all I will tell you. Yeah, yes, follow his advice. Come across a mission called doctor's orders, I think it's it's a side quest. Um, don't complete it, just keep farming. So, um, anyways, uh probably want to pass or uh, move on to the dlcs um i'm actually going to start with the headhunters because they're short um just to get them out of the way and then we'll get to the main uh dlcs so the headhunters did come out come after the four add-on campaigns um but like i said i'm doing these before because they're shorter um they generally cost less and feature less content um they originally intended to only make three headhunter packs, but they ultimately cr- included five, or they ultimately created five. Um, one for, mostly one for each, each major holiday. Um, yeah, so yeah. the first one on the list came out October 22nd of 2013, and it was TK Baja's Bloody Harvest. Um, the pack uh. brings back the characters last seen in Borderlands Zombie Island of Dr. Ned DLC. Zombie TK Baja sends players to fight Jack's a Lantern, a giant pumpkin boss who gives new character customizations as a reward for being beaten. And that's the same, I think, for every um, headhunter. But, um, so basically this headhunter, you were fighting the undead for the most part, mostly skeletons. Um, and yeah, you're supposed to beat uh, Jack's a Lantern because he was terrifying the local residents or something like that. Um, you had to lure him out. You beat him. Um, the headhunters, I would say, uh, if you're playing normal mode, uh, good to go at level 15 for all the headhunters. Good way to level up and get you forward and maybe drop some rares and legendaries. Um, TK's, um, I thought, was uh, pretty decent, but could have been better. Um, I would rate uh, TK's, uh, TK Baja's um, Bloody Harvest probably like a, an 8.5 out of 10. Um, just like I said, I, I felt like it could have been a better headhunter. Um, 
And the, the, the rarity drops in that one was kind of eh. What about you, Gamer G? Ah. Uh, I'm, I'm actually, uh. I'm, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to go with like a 8.2. Okay. I mean, I, 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 like you said, I thought it could be, I thought it could be a lot better. I thought it could have, uh, brought back the, uh, actually brought back some zombies from Borderlands, Borderlands, uh, uh, Island of Zombie, Zombie Island of Dr. Ned. Yeah, I'm getting old. Not as good as it used to be. I <laughs> know <laughs> uh, it, it was. Yeah, I, I thought it was a good one. Um, TK was one of my. He, he's definitely a fan favorite, which is probably why they brought him back in for that. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, and his uh, his wave gun was pretty. A lot of people actually did like the wave gun. So yeah. Um. So the next up, uh, Headhunter, is the, the Horrible Hunger of the Ravenous Waddle Gobbler. Uh, the pack is a parody of the Hunger Games and Thanksgiving Day in which players have to compete in a tournament organized by Mr. Torg to defeat a giant turkey monster. Now, I do like Mr. Torg a lot. Um, he's one of my more favorite, uh, like, you know, sort of innocent characters, you know. Um, just because he gives off that kind of like child childhood innocence kind of oh, thing, yeah. um, but so basically in this headhunter, um, yeah, it's 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 a Hunger Games ripoff more or less, except not quite. It's weird, I um, but Mister Torg basically um, enlists you to help him uh, defeat the Waddle Gobbler when it's supposed to you know kill everybody um, because he's sick of corporate greed. And he's sick of watching people die, so he, you know, gives you poison to poison the Waddle Gobbler to make it not invincible anymore, and you, you know, go and kill it for him. Um, but this one, I, I mean, honestly, I wasn't, you know, I always kind of just like, you know, quickly went through this one. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I thought it was okay, not great. Um, so I would say. Um, maybe like a seven out of ten for me, just because I I mean it, again it was it was a headhunter that it was decent I liked Torg a lot you know but I I kind of just quickly went through it just to you know see what loot I could get out of it you know I just it was short the story kind of sucked there wasn't really much to it um really the best part was listening to Grandma's story. That's the longest part of that headhunter. Oh, you talking about you talking about the raid boss there? Yeah, yeah, that's the real raid boss in that one. Listening, um, listening to Grandma Tor Gramble. Ooh. Yeah, almost bad to listen to this guy. Oh, um, yeah, no. yeah. But no, I'd have to you know give it like a uh, like a seven point eight because I I absolutely. I, I liked it, like I said, like you said, I love Torchill. He is, he is a, basically, a, you gave a five-year-old a million dollars in explosives, and he just screams all the time. Like, what's not to like about him? He is just I mean, filled with testosterone. Um, 
And I will admit, I think honestly, this, uh, I think that headhunter probably had the most unique enemies because there was at least like, like twenty enemies that actually have names from certain yeah. areas. Uh, they're all tributes from different areas, yeah. Which yeah. is where the Hunger Games ripoff comes from. Which I mean, I I thought that was pretty cool, and it just. I mean, listening to Grandma was nice, um, but uh, it was it was definitely something you want to pay attention to. Um, that way, you don't you know walk off and have to restart the whole thing. Yeah, because I mean, he's done that. That's so alive. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, it was I. You weren't even thinking about it. You were just like, hmm, I wonder if, like, you know, one of us stays while the other one just kind of walks around, if it would be a big deal. But then she gets all upset because you're like, you're not listening. It's like, oops. And you have to restart it. Oh, it's such a pain when it's almost to the end and you do it. Oh, yeah. And you have to re- you have to restart from the very beginning. It is – he's right. It's the, it's, it's, the, it's the only raid boss that is the hardest because it's so hard to listen to her. And you gotta freaking pay attention to what she's saying, and I mean, the rocket launcher she gives you is okay. Honestly, I feel like they should have given you better loot for suffering through that. <laughs> but, anyways, um, yeah. So it was okay. Um, the next dead hunter is how Marcus right. saved. What? I I I can I can already tell you which one it is. Yeah, how Marcus saved Mercenary Day. Um, this headhunter is probably my favorite out of the five. Uh, oh yeah. In, in this pack, vault hunters need to find Marcus's missing gun shipment training while saving the ex-bandit town of Gingerton from the evil snowman Tinder Snowflake. Um, so to go mm-hmm. into a more detailed description or description subscri- dip- description, can't speak too old. <laughs> um, to go into more detailed description. Uh, you show up to this random town that's it's snowing. You've never seen snow in this game before. It's snowing. Um, and you meet Marcus, and Marcus enlists you to um, go oh, get buddy. the gun shipment. Of course, you know, his initial thing is, oh, we're going to go get the gun shipment and bring it back so I don't lose any money. You know? And he's all like, yeah, Mercenary Day was such a bad invention. It's like, shut up, Marcus. You know you enjoy giving to people every now and then. But... Anyways, um, you go and you that you find the town is frozen. Um, you so you have to unfreeze the town. Then you fight snowmen. That's the main enemy is snowmen. Um, along with a few bandits here and there, um, but they throw they throw uh they throw snowballs at you, but they actually do some damage. Um, and then you go. Your ultimate villain is a giant snowman that you have to awaken. Um, and I have to say, the loot from this headhunter is better than any of the others, just in my opinion. Um, because it's I it gives you the most loot, and it gives it has the highest chance of giving you le- uh, legendary loot, which I've actually gotten um, like three different legendary commando mods from this DLC or from this headhunter alone. So. Um, but I would probably rate it, um, 
9 out of 10. Solid 9 out of 10. Um, I'm going to have to go with like a, like a, a 9.3. Um, one, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to, uh, you said this is the fourth time we've seen snow in Borderlands 2. Oh, no, you're, I, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I was about to say, the fourth time, literally the fourth time you actually get to play as your the, character. The train. You crash oh, into yeah, the snow. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. I, bro, I don't know what I'm talking about. Don't listen to me. <laughs> it's alright. It's alright. It's, it's, right. it's been a while um, since I played. Um, so th this is the first time you see like Christmas trees, though. I guess. Oh, yeah, wait, yeah, let's yeah. go with that. This is the only time you see Christmas trees. Yes, definitely. Um, but to put it lightly here, um, uh, was it Tin Tinder Snowflake? Is that his name? Yep. Um, I forget his name, boys and girls, because he's, he's legitly, um, Frost through the snowman went wrong. Um, yeah, so, so instead of giving him the good hat, he gave him the evil hat, and he kills everybody. There's actually a horror movie out there about a snowman who goes evil. Yeah, it's like Jack Frost. Yeah, yeah, Jack Frost, yeah, the evil snowman. That's pretty much who you're fighting, uh -huh. fucking Jack Frost. Yeah, um, but... And to say, he's not the one that gives you the wings. Um, Tiny Tim, which is like the mirror of the whole place, you get a train. And that would give yeah, you the Yeah, it's the arm shipment. The, the missing arm shipment is where you get all your loot from. Um, now, I will admit, Tinder does drop some loot, but the best loot you get is from that train. Oh, yeah. Like, I think, honestly, my favorite part of that whole head tunnel is that psycho singing Christmas music. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. It's a good time. Yeah, it is. Um, so, yeah. So, what, a 9 from me and a 9.2 from you? Uh, 9.3. Yeah. The next Headhunter is Mad Moxie and the Wedding, Massa Wedding Day Massacre. It was released on February 11th of 2014. So, obviously, Valentine's Day. Uh, the story revolves around Mad Moxie's plan to get, have two Goliaths, one from the Zaffers and one from the Hodunks, to marry and end the feud between their families. So these aren't just two oh. random Goliaths. These are like the like the, the, the son and the daughter of the heads of the families, is what they're, what they're supposed to be. Um, so basically, you're trying to end a clan war, um, which I think Moxie and uh, Ellie are trying to get... Um, financial gain out of it or something I, they're, they're getting something out of ending this ending this war um but i think it's just in war oh yeah because they're uh they are uh hodunks aren't they uh originally yeah, yeah. i mean she's trying to end the war by peace when ellie already tried to end the war by violence <laughs> yeah Without, of course but, but still. yes moxie used to be a used to be a hodunk so, I, apparently there's there there's some history there or something, but um, so you go through, um, you basically have to you know complete these meaningless tasks to get ready for this wedding, um, and once you get ready for it, um, they you know 
the, the you get a love make sorry you make a love potion is what you do you grab gather ingredients and make a love potion they drink the love potion they fall in love but being Goliath they can't kiss with helmets on they rip their helmets off what happens when you shoot the helmet off of a Goliath I mean come on the they turn into raging Goliaths so that's what happens you end up having to kill them anyways um. I would rate this one an 8.5 out of 10. The reason I don't rate it lower is because throughout the Headhunter, you can gather fish. With the fish, you can fish for... Um, threshers. Threshers, yes. Named Threshers. Um, which, once you get all of their hides, you unlock a chest that can give you more loot. Sometimes the chest doesn't give you anything good. Sometimes the chest I mean, will give you something great. Yeah, not crazy loot. Yeah. But loot. Yeah, it gives you more, you know? Um, hmm. But I, you know, I enjoy this DLC. The story's pretty decent. Um, or Headhunter, not DLC, Headhunter. It's technically DLC, but I refer, when I think of DLC, I think of, like, um, like actual, like, like campaign add-ons, you know? Um, yeah. So, but, um... Yeah, probably probably eight point five for me. What about you, Gamer G? I'm gonna I'm gonna actually have to put this at a nine point four. Um because I absolutely love the uh, the fishing, the fighting the threshers. Um I found the whole situation hilarious and I will admit if you uh, want a type of a challenge, like like with um, certain enemies in the game, especially the uh, the couples, you can kill the bride, and you can let the uh, the groom pick her up, and then they get more pissed, and you can do that like four or five times to where they become like the Goliath couple, the Goliath couple, which is always the max where you could piss off a Goliath. And they can get, they, they can get difficult. I, don't get me wrong, their, uh, their, uh, loot doesn't, like, go in amazing, but it's a tad bit of a challenge at some point. Um, but, Either way, I actually, I like it a little bit. It's not more loot, like better loot than um, mer uh, mercenary, mercenary Day, but I think it's just a better story to me. I love it. It's funny. It's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I understand where you come from. Um, you know, like I said, I just... All the headhunters, you know, they're just they're, they're lacking something for me. I enjoy oh, in-depth yeah. stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, but so the next one, the next headhunter, the final headhunter that came out was Sir Hamelock versus the Son of Cromorax, released April fifteenth of twenty fourteen. And the headhunter, Sir Hamelock, Rick, Mordecai, and Lilith are on vacation on Wham Bam Island when a large monster kidnaps Hammerlock. The DLC culminates in a battle against Cromorax Jr., the son of the great crab worm of the original game, the secret armory of General Ma Nox add-on. 
who is seeking vengeance on Roland, Lilith, Rick, and Mordecai. Um, so, to go in a little more depth um, with this one, everybody's going on a nice vacation because there's peace. You know, there's there's a there's a lasting peace that they're enjoying, and um, of course that peace is interrupted by um, none other than the son of Cromorax, the Invincible himself. Um, which, I'll be completely honest, um, the son of Cromorax is not nearly as invincible. But, um, so this game, you meet up with everybody, you see Sir Hammerlock, well, you meet up with Sir Hammerlock, nobody, nobody else is there yet. Um, but, he gets kidnapped, randomly, just out of nowhere too. So, you have to get what uh, a Varkid drunk. And by being drunk, it'll lead you to where Sir Hammerlock is. So you just follow around a drunk Varkid everywhere. Well, different ones because they each, you know, either sober up and start to try and kill you or they die. Um, but once you finally find Sir Hammerlock, you have to fight... Uh, the son of son of Cromorax, which he drops decent loot, not great, but decent. He drops mostly uh, like blues, rares. Um, the best part of this headhunter, I think, is when you fight. Well, the son of Captain Flint. Or uh, Sparky. Yep. Um, so because you end up meeting with a bunch of other enemies that. Um, apparently have grudges against the playable characters and that's i think that's all, i think it's all the playable characters or it might be just the main four i don't remember um but mm. i thought that added a little more to the story a little more to the background um and it i it really actually i really actually enjoyed that you know um i enjoyed like Especially once you get like the audio log or the the letter. No, it wasn't audio. It was a letter. You get a letter at the end of the mission, and each character's letter is different. It's from a different person, um, saying that they came, that they helped them with their problem. It's a different person from each of their backgrounds. So with Axton, it was his ex-wife, who you know killed whoever it was that was after Axton. So I thought that was really cool. Um, so I would rate this, rate this one probably, mm, also a solid, mm, I'll give it an 8.9 out of 10. Um, cause I really, I really did kind of find the, uh, part where you had to, um, get Varkids drunk annoying a little bit. It was funny, but also kind of annoying, but... What about you, Gamer G? What do you rate this? To be honest with you, I'm gonna have to go with it a seven out of ten. Okay. Um, just when I heard that the son of Cromerx was coming after us, I was I was hyped. I I I, I got flashbacks from getting my ass kicked from <laughs> Cromerx myself. Oh goodness. And his son wasn't even one of his claws. Like, man, his son was a disappointment. Don't get me wrong. Later on, 
he he after you kill him once, you gotta pay money to fight. You gotta pay Iridium to fight him again, and he is a lot more difficult. Yeah. Well, he becomes an invincible, I think. But he but he he's he's still nowhere near, nowhere near his father. Like man, his his father is his father is like an hour fight. Fighting the Thunderclaw match, I mean, it maybe take like half an hour. I mean, maybe not even half an hour. Maybe like fifteen. It doesn't take too long. He he's not. I guess he's nothing compared to his father. The drunk of our kids was hilarious. The whole Sparky um uh side quest was hilarious. And hearing. Favorite part has got to be hearing the Vault Hunters originally talk about formats, um, which I won't say what they talk about or leave for you guys to hear. Um, it's a it's a good it's a good one, but just it gets the low it gets the lowest out out of the headhunters for me because. He he was just a just such a disappointment. Yeah, I I will admit it. It was a he was a pretty big disappointment. Even when you fight him as an invincible, he's still not like Cromorax. He's still you know decently weak. So, um, but that's all the headhunters. Um, so finally, we can move on to the uh, DLCs. The first DLC, like major campaign DLC to be released, was on October 16th of 2012, and it is Captain Scarlet and her, and her pirate's booty. The story focuses on Captain Scarlet, a sand pirate captain who works with the Vault Hunters to search for Captain Blade's lost treasure of the sands, whilst repeatedly informing them that she will eventually betray them it also introduces new raid bosses and a new hovering vehicle, the Sands Gift. It received generally positive reviews upon release. Um, I probably won't go into more detail than these descriptions on these because the Headhunters, they're really basic. So, I mean, I have, you know, I explain them a little more so that people understand a little better. Um, but with these, I'd rather you guys, you know, explore and figure these out on your own um to get the experience out of it rather than hearing about it beforehand um captain scarlet and her pirate's booty for me um it wasn't the lowest on like the four main dlcs for me it was it's the second lowest for me um that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. I do enjoy it. I really enjoy this DLC. I'll play it every time I play the game. Um, and it's really good for... It has quite a few invincibles in it, I think. I think it has... I think it has the most out of every campaign. out of Or out of every DLC campaign. I think. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. And correct me if I'm wrong. But I'm pretty sure um. it has the most... Invincibles. So. It doesn't. No, I think that I think that will be one we talk about later. Um, 
Because it has, let me think, it has Hyperius and Master G, doesn't it? Yes. And then it, I think it has one more, doesn't it? Or does it not? Yeah, Hyperius, Master G. I think those are the only ones. I mean, like in most scenes, you guys can consider the main boss of the story or the DLC a raid boss because I mean it's a bad out it's a big boss you guys kill and then you guys get you're supposed to get a crap ton of loot from it. That's but the cool. it's not also not really a raid boss because you you're not guaranteed yeah. great loot from which you're not guaranteed great loot from anything but it do, it doesn't have as high of a drop rate as the raid bosses do. Um which I won't say anything about what the boss is or who it is or anything. Um, I will just say that this DLC definitely wasn't my favorite, which my favorite is probably just about anybody's favorite at this point. Anybody who's played the game anyways, um, which we'll get to, but, um, I'd have to rate this DLC, mm, 8.7 out of 10. There was some potential there that was left untapped. Um, the references they made throughout it, though, I did like. There is a Bioshock reference at some point in it, which if you guys are careful, you will and pay attention, you'll find. Um, and I really, I really enjoyed the fact they included that because I love Bioshock, um, which we'll get to reviewing those at some point later on down the line. Um, but. I mean, I, I, I overall enjoyed this campaign. Um, I mean, like I said, there, there's just there's some potential that's untapped there, especially with it being piratey like it is. Um, but oh, yeah. overall, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. 8.7 out of 10, I think, is, is a fair rating for this DLC. Um and I would, I would definitely, you know, play it again. So, um, what about you, Gamer G? I'm gonna have to go with an eight point nine. Okay. Um, I think honestly, in terms of favorites here, like in the DLCs, I think our favorites are um pr- pretty, pretty on point with each other, but uh. This is my, like you said, my, my second, um, second least favorite. Like I said, like he said, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad DLC. It's just there's other DLCs I enjoy way more. Um, but there is some untapped potential. There is references that I'm sure other people will understand. Like, oh hey, that's actually a reference. Um, that we didn't know, but like he said, Bioshock, there's a Bioshock reference. If you know how to play Bioshock, you'll know what to do. Um, uh, there is the obviously there is the the hunt for the treasures. Won't tell you anything about those treasures, but there's hunt for treasures because it's a pirate DLC. 
Um, the the sound skips were were decent. Um, I feel like there there could have been more with that. They they were more like uh, uh, like a a fan vote, so called. Um, yeah, they were they crazy. were very much so like he, like anybody who's ever watched any of those swamp shows see the fan votes they use. It's pretty similar to what they have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it wasn't it wasn't crazy. I mean, it was cool that they changed the vehicle, and I mean, they they introduced some enemies. Um that get kind of annoying. Um like for example, uh my worst enemy in that game is an anchorman. Those uh you you try to run away from them. They uh they legitly throw an anchor at you and they scorpion in your ass like get over here bitch. Um <laughs> and then when you try to shoot them, they can use the anchors to block all your damage. Yeah, they are a so little you, annoying. They, yeah, I mean, they, I think in that DLC, they're probably the most annoying, like, enemy. Um, they're just, I don't know. It, it's a good DLC. I, I, I do love it because, well... Like do you you gonna hear me say that about everything in this game? Every I'm mean, gonna I I do have my critiques for it, but everything in this game I'm gonna love. Unlock the only thing I don't love is the disappointment of Cassandra's Fall Match. But either way, um, right, let's let's continue on. Yeah. Um. So, the next DLC to have come out, um is Mr. Torg's Campaign of Carnage. came out November 20th of 2012. The campaign is centered around a new vault discovered buried in the center of the badass crater of badassitude um, that, will ult- that will only open once the champion of Pandora feeds it the blood of the ultimate coward. To find this champion, Mr. Torg, CEO of Torg Weapons Manufacturer, sets up a tournament in which the vault, hunter com- vault hunters compete. The DLC also features vending machines which exclusively sell high-end Torg weapons and use a new currency called Torg tokens, uh, received generally positive reviews upon release. Um, so, this DLC is my second favorite. Same. I'd give it a 9.3 out of 10. Um, I enjoyed the story. I really enjoyed the gameplay. The thing that I didn't enjoy so much was the drop rate of Torque Tokens. Oh god, yeah. It takes hours of grinding to get enough Torque Tokens to get anything decent out of the vending machine. So, anybody who's thinking, oh my god, I can get a Torque Token and get a Legendary... No. He sells mostly blue weapons, and then the weapon of the day he sells a Legendary... But it takes a lot of torque tokens, and you don't get much from very many enemies. You get you get at least a torque token from badass enemies, but again, you have to grind and grind and grind for any type of real amount of torque tokens. Um, and that was the, that was the only thing that I didn't enjoy. And it's it's all torque weapons too. So the people who don't enjoy torque weapons, it's definitely, I mean, 
it's not going to matter whether you get toy tokens or not. But the people who really do enjoy it go grinding lots of it. Um, but everything else about this campaign I loved. It was great. Um, I, like I said, I really enjoyed Mr. Torque, and I'm pretty sure this was his first appearance, wasn't it? Um, give me one second here. First official appearance, yes. The Red Healing Sanctuary, you can hear him talk, promote the guns, but I don't really count that. I mean, yeah, this you, is his... Yeah, you don't meet him as a character yet. He's just the head of, you know, Torque Weapons. Yeah. Um, but this is where you officially like meet Mr. Tor, and I mean he's probably one of my favorite characters. Um, like I said, full of testosterone, and it's great. It's great to listen to. Um, if you like screaming and shouting, he's a screamer and shouter. But um, I really liked um, like all the fights. Um, I liked the story. I liked all the all the sequences se- sequences involved. It was just, you know, it was an overall uh, great campaign. Like I said, I just didn't like the drop rate of the Torque tokens. Um, the loot that you can get from this game is decent. Not amazing, but decent. Um, and... Um, yeah, so, what did I give it, like a 9.2? think so yeah nine nine point two out of ten nine point three somewhere around there i would say for me um second favorite um i really i really enjoyed it um what about you gamer g i'm gonna have to go with a nine point five um like 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 you said this is also my second favorite um i'm a very uh I'm a, I'm a, I love loud things, um, like, uh, just, just put, put it this way, imagine someone that looks like Splash, the guitarist, that all he does is scream, and he does guitar solos, like, he, he just, he's an amazing killer, so like I said, he, he's like a kid that you give a million dollars to, and explosives. I mean, just, I love him. Um, the, the enemies also in that were pretty unique. And also, I will admit, this DLC probably has the rarest weapon of the entire game, which would be Tiny Tina's Cobra. You guys yes. ever, you guys ever get that? Consider yourselves lucky. That is the rarest weapon in that entire game. Like, I, I, I've i never actually fully gotten it, like, actually to drop. I have never gotten it either. I mean, it's, 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 it's not, it's not crazy. It's a, it's a blue weapon that is an explosive, uh, Sniper rifle, that's pink. I mean, is it is it fun to use? Yeah, it is. Um, 
Is it a good reason why it's that rare? No. But, I mean, either way, it's... Like I said, I mean, Borderlands 2 will always have stuff that I haven't done, I haven't gotten. I'm not a completionist, so I don't plan to go through a game and get everything. But, Toll's DLC, it had... it. It get I will admit it gives some story to other characters. I'll tell you who. Um and it's all it's overall fun. But I will admit the worst part about it is told scoring. That is so repetitive. I just like I had gotten my psycho to in an amazing area. I'll be honest with you. I don't. I don't think I got him there. I think he might have been someone. Uh, someone that a modder post. Uh, a model gave me. Um. We went to this like ball fight area. They gave and we completed it. And my boy would sit here by the bulletin board and just accept it and turn it in multiple times. As I would just nonstop be throwing grenades that would just, you know, kill enemies all over the place. And I think um, the legendaries in the the weapon of the day or whatever of the day, item of the day in the Tolg vendors was always 613 full coins, full tokens. I thought, I thought it was like 700-something, but, I mean, I guess I could have been wrong. I haven't, I, I've, like I said, I haven't played the game in a while. It's been a while. Yeah. It's been so, a while. But I know it's a really high amount, and you don't get jack <laughs> for all the enemies you kill. Um, fight is definitely the easiest way to do it. Yeah. Um, now, this one... Um, I will tell you, it does have one raid boss. Um, which is a man named Pyro Pete. Won't, won't, won't tell you what he's all about, because you'll find out when you go through the game. Probably but, shouldn't have even said his name. I mean, I, I figured we should, because, I mean, we told them the two, the two of, From uh... Scarlet. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, saying their name ain't gonna do nothing. I mean, Fair they enough. might look at, but I think if they really want you to one, they'll go through the game and be like, oh, hey, that's Pyro Peak. That's who they were talking about. True gamers. True gamers play for the experience. They don't look it up. Yeah. Um. But yeah, definitely watch out for that Pyro Peak. <laughs> Let's move on. Okay. The next DLC is Sir Hammerlock's Big Game Hunt. This DLC was released January 15th of 2013. Uh, the, the campaign chronicles Sir Hammerlock and the Vault Hunters undertaking a quest to find rare animals of Pandora and to battle with former Hyperion scientist Pro Professor Nakayama, who is trying to create a clone of Handsome Jack. It was the least well-received DLC among the four add-on packs. Which I will say, 
I'm not Blood surprised. Um, I, again, the least well-received DLC doesn't mean necessarily a bad thing. I didn't dislike this campaign. I liked it. I did. I didn't love it. It definitely doesn't, you know... It's not as good as the other three, by far. Um, this one... I would probably give... A 7.9 out of 10. Which I think is my lowest rating so far. I think. Um, but... There was... <sighs> I liked a lot of the enemies. Um, I liked some of the campaign. But at the same time, there were enemies that were really annoying. There were parts of the campaign that were really boring and sucked. Um, and I will admit, the final boss fight is not that great. And I felt it could have been a lot better. Um, it was just kind of eh. I'm not talking about bad. I know what you're thinking of. That's what I say. I don't know. I don't know. Um, the final boss of that, I think, is actually pretty nice. But I mean, the the final final boss is great. Great fight. Love it. Um, but the final boss, the one before him, is yeah. just it, it kind of sucked. It was. It's like, you know, um, it's just that there were high expectations and just kind of flatlined on me, you know? Um, this campaign, now that I think about it, is it this campaign that has the most Invincibles? Yes. Yes, okay. Because um, I think I've already thought of like three that are in this one. Because um, there's, there's one... That's one of those uh, like really tall crawlers or whatever. Um, we'll talk about we'll talk about them after after we give the um, the rating. That's fair. That's fair. Because um, you probably know them by name anyways. But uh, uh, the idea. Yeah, like I said, seven point nine out of ten. Really, really wish it was better. Because I, I want I want it to be better. I want to say that I really enjoyed this campaign, but I can't. I would be lying. It had, it had potential. Exactly. It had great potential. Wonderful potential. I mean, the fact that it was all based on, you know, great, like, hunting. Hunt. Yeah, the great <laughs> hunt, you know. I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that concept so much, but the execution was just lacking. Yeah. What's your rating on it, Gamer G? I'm gonna have to, uh, um, I'm gonna have to give it a 8.5. Um, once again, they introduced some enemies that, uh, wasn't in, yeah, wasn't in any of the DLCs. Um, the, like, I'm gonna put it this way, boys and girls. All the other DLCs, probably at least like 
maybe 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 uh maybe like forty five minutes to complete. Maybe, probably more. But this one, about twenty. About twenty minutes and you're done. Like maybe not even twenty minutes. Like it's a it's a short DLC, which is what which for, is for being, for being the main DLC campaign it is, yes. I I keep forgetting like, it is short. I keep thinking it's like, the longest for some reason. Like it it that's the thing. It's just the shortest but it feels like it's the longest because it, it just it like you feel like it's dragging because it just oh, yeah. it, 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 it it seems boring at some point so just it, yeah it feels like it's dragging but at the same time it's really short because there was one time gamer g and i were playing it and i'm like are we done already we're at the end and he's like yeah and i'm like i swear this was longer no nope. yeah i it, it, i mean i'll admit like we said it's we it's it's definitely my least favorite, which I know it's his least favorite too. Um, it was ain't a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just once again, oh the old DLCs just they're just better in our opinion. Um, now, uh, now I let me let me talk about these invincibles. I'm not gonna tell you like everything about them, boys and girls. Um, actually, there is one name, one invincible name that I cannot for life in me remember his name. It starts with a V. He's a, I'll tell you, he's a stalker. Um. Ah, uh, it's the one we tried to play against. Ah. Uh, yeah. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Um, he's, he's an interesting one. That's one of them. And then you'll have... Dexterious, Dex, Dex, which is the most expensive, the most expensive, <laughs> um, invincible. He co- I think he costs like maybe like eight hundred, maybe even more iridium to fight. Eight hundred. Yeah, because you gotta like Holy. five di- five different places on that map that he's on. You have to pay, I think, like two hundred. Or even I, it might be even more iridium just Holy to fight him. Jeez, I yeah. do not and know. He is, he is a. You'll know. You'll recognize his type of, um, his enemy, from Borderlands because he is a drifter, which he is this like long leg. He's basically a daddy long leg, but a little bitch. Um. <laughs> But he, he, he can mess up your day. He can. And I, um, um, I've i never actually fought him before because I've never really had enough Iridium to do so. Um, yeah. But I do hear he is... I mean, he, he is incredibly difficult to beat. Um, I mean, like, out of all the Invincibles, boys and girls, he's probably, honestly, the closest... To the original Cromat. Like. Even compared he, to Master G? Oh, yeah. I mean, Master G, you there's there ways to get past Master G easily. True. But. Dexterous? No, there's. there's no. There is. No way. That That's a fight you have to be ready for. Um. Which obviously you'll have to be ready because you'll have to have that money. 
like that's not a fight you go by yourself because you can't hold the amount of iridium that you need. No, you probably like, want you, have, you probably want at least three other people with you. You probably want a full yeah, party to fight him. There's just a lot of iridium needed. Um, and then you have triple O, which ah triple O. Ah, uh, he. This this isn't saying much, but you will have to get a badass savage to get leveled up by a witch doctor. I mean, you have a small chance of him becoming triple O. And I mean, he's he's not he's not as bad as he's not as difficult as Xterius. But he, he's a decent he's a decent fight. Um, uh, I I do know that he is probably what I would consider uh, the hardest to summon boss simply because you yeah. you can't you can't just pay to to fight him. He only appears by chance. I could have sworn there was like four or five in here, but I'm only like only three of them were coming up in my head. That's what the internet's for. I know the... Okay, real quick while he looks this up. Um, I will admit, the uh, the base game, there was one invincible. His name is Teomorphus, and he's a flesher. Um, he's, he, he's a fun fight. Um, and he actually... He's actually worth fighting because he actually has a decent uh, drop rate of legendaries and class mods. <clears throat> so, um, it says here that in Sir Hammerlock's big game hunt, the it only there's only two actual like raid bosses. Um, so like Triple O doesn't count, though he is an invincible. Yeah. But um, the two the only two raid bosses are uh, Voracious, which is um, the stalker. Uh, and uh, Dexidus, or Dexidius, um, yeah. the wetland drifter. Um, to go back on previous, S Captain Scarlet had Hyperius and Master G. Um, a third raid boss was planned for Captain Scarlet, so Captain Scarlet almost had the most, but ultimately was not included. Uh, Mr. Torgs, Pyro Pete. Um, so stuck that Sir Hammerlocks, and I'll keep I'll keep this up to discuss the final the ones on the final DLC when we get to it. Um, so yeah, actually those are the only three. Huh. I could have sworn there was more, but you know what? It's alright. Um, I'll I'll tell you this much. Uh, the stalker that we tried to fight, uh, Boratius, pain, uh, freaking pain, man. If you don't, I'm, if you don't fight oh. them, fight him in the right order. If you don't do the exact right things in the exact right order, he screws your day up. I mean, I, like, like with okay, boys and girls, with any of these invincibles, um, yeah, they're not a thing that you just like. Oh, this is a side quest. Let me go do it. Oh, it's done. These invincibles aren't easy fights. No way. Like, um, 
like base game before uh two ball hunter mode i'm pretty sure actually no i'm not pretty sure i know kill morpheus the very first invincible you fight is a level 50 when you're like just turning level 30. Uh, yeah, there's no way you yeah normal mode. In, it, like I mean, don't get me wrong, when you go true ball into mode, he doesn't go up in level, he stays 50, but these are not easy fights. These no. are, these these are invincibles for a reason. Don't get me wrong, they all pay nothing to Cromax, the original, but that's serious. He, 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 he comes close. He comes close. Um, trying to think if there's anything else about Hamalots. Um, like, eh, it, it was, the shortness of it was disappointing, and there are a couple hunts in it for, like, creatures that you can do, um, but <clears throat> ain't nothing crazy. Ain't, ain't nothing too crazy about it. I think we should uh, probably head on to the best, I'd have to say. Well, the last at least, um, but as I do say, save the best for last. The final <laughs> DLC, like campaign DLC that they released for Borderlands 2 was Tiny Tina's Assault on Dragon Keep. They released this June 25th of 2013. The campaign... I might also mention that this is the biggest in-between DLCs that they've had with this game. Because it went from October to November to January and then all the way to June. So, they really worked on this one. The campaign is set within the world of a fantasy-themed tabletop role-playing game known as Bunkers and Badasses. With Tiny Tina serving as a game master, sometimes modifying the game world according to her whims. The campaign's frame story surrounds Tiny Tina's struggle to accept something that you guys will discover through the main game. It received the highest rating among the four add-on packs. Um, which, no surprise there. Assault on Dragon Keep... Um, was made into a standalone release actually just this year on or no sorry forget that it was new year uh last year november 9th of 2021 um it was released for windows playstation 4 and xbox one um i would recommend playing it through borderlands 2 first before just getting the standalone game um and the only reason i recommend that recommend that is because you want your Borderlands character, Borderlands 2 characters to play it after completing the main campaign to really get into it like we did. Um, yeah. So, this is both Gamergy and I's favorite DLC. Obvious reasons for me, which you guys will get to know more about me as the episodes go along. Um, but I do D&D myself, um, I DM a lot, and so this campaign, or this, this DLC really kind of hit home for me with a lot of things, um, along with that, um, 
just everything about this DLC was great. Uh, the loot drops, the enemies, the story. Um, it really tugs at your heartstrings, I'll say that much. Um, and please, be sure to play the entire campaign before you touch this DLC. If you don't, it will ruin the experience for you. I promise yeah. you it will. So please, I beg any new players, play the base game first. That's why I recommend to people, don't play the standalone game. Play, I mean, the standalone game is, is great and all, but don't play the standalone game. Play Borderlands 2 with this DLC. Play the Borderlands 2 main game first, and then after you, whenever you want to, play this DLC you just want to get that story out of the way first because it actually intertwines with this very strongly. Um, but rating this one nine point nine point nine out of ten. Um, I almost went ten out of ten. I almost did. <laughs> I I really almost did. The only thing that kept me from going 10 out of 10 is the, the you in my because I'm, I'm thinking of this from a D&D &D perspective you progress through it too quick But only by a small bit. Not even by a lot, just by a small bit. You progress through it just a little too quick for me. And I think part of that is my D&D mindset. Part of it is also because I wanted more. I wanted more to do in this in this DLC. I wanted more so bad. Oh, we'll be getting more. We'll get to that another time. Yep. Um, I trust me. I really wanted to give this a ten out of ten, but I, in my heart, I knew I couldn't. Nine point hey. nine, and I. This is my favorite DLC. This is my favorite thing about this game, and it's really good. Um. I mean, anything from, from the bosses to, you know, the the side quests, the amount of side quests you can do, um, everything. It's great. Wonderful. Um, Gamer G, give us your rating on it. Oh, it's a 10 out of 10 for me. I mean, I, I'm not a D&D player, so I don't really, you know, I don't, I see, where, I don't see where he's coming from. But I can I can understand. Um, I feel like one of the things was it probably didn't have uh enough like legend like not legendary uh enough uh random encounters to because from what I hear about people that play D and D, um the game master usually has a a number of random encounters that like oh you went down this path okay this happened yeah. you know. Um, there wasn't, I mean, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a set, like, story, which, yes. I mean, it, I mean, for this, 
for the time, it it, it makes sense. And considering the type of game it is, you can't really put in the random encounters like that. Um, so I yeah. I have no issue with the way they did that because you, it would they would have to make it like a sandbox game at that point, and with a game like that, you can't make it sandbox. So I mean it. That that perspective, I think, for anybody who has that perspective, is flawed. Yeah, fair enough. But good point. Yeah, um, but you know, I because I mean, there's a reason I don't have that perspective. I think of you know, first of all, this game came out in 2012. The DLC came out in 2013. This was back when gaming was, you know, getting good, but still wasn't that big. I mean, yeah, Skyrim just came out and all that, but it's there. There still, there still wasn't enough building, and this this wasn't Bethesda that made this. You know, it was you know, it was it was two K, you know, and they they were making stuff like you know Duke Nukem. So I mean, they I mean it just there was no way for them to make this a sandbox, or to make it constant random encounters and stuff like that. Um. But that uh, yeah. Um. But I mean, like you said, this is also my favorite. I mean, hell, if it wasn't for Hack and Jack, this would be my favorite in the whole like whole game. But because Hack and Jack, I just love him so much. Base game is still my favorite for the story, but I will admit we've we've talked about Torg. I don't know how we haven't talked about the psychopath that's Tiny Tina. <laughs> um, yeah, we haven't discussed her too much, but uh, she also she was a decent sized character in the main game, but she's a bigger character. Yeah, it's it, her biggest moment is here. This is whole DLC. Yep. This, um, this is her story. Well, I mean, the story she made up. Like, it just... She is... Honestly, she... In a way, kind of reminds me of... Uh, like, Clap Shop. She... She, she, be, she can definitely be considered really annoying. But... You know, when... Once you learn about horror, I mean, just like with Torg and with any character, you'll you'll grow to love horror. I mean, I'm I'm sure some people still haven't grown to love Claptrap, but that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> you you can grow attached to Tina because of her story. Oh yeah, the, this the, this story you you don't grow attached. Then maybe Borderlands just ain't for you. Um. But just maybe the... gaming isn't for you. Go back to Call of Duty. <laughs> Go back to online Call of Duty playing. That's all you're good at. Um, but like, just we're not like we're trying. We're not going to talk about the story here. The the enemies they brought enemies that aren't in any other things. Like you got you got dragons. You got uh, I mean you got you got skeletons. Which keep in mind. We were talking about the headhunters. They came after all the four, like main DLCs. Yeah. So Tiny Tina's came out before TK Baja's 
Bloody yeah. Harvest. So, so the first so skeletons came from her DLC. There, there was, there was, there was trees. You know, friendly trees. You know, they they had, they had a lot of stuff added to it that they they really tried to be a D and D type of DLC. I I mean I think they did a decent job. Wrong. <clears throat> From what I know about D and D, not completely accurate, but once again, for this type of game and the, the year it came out, I mean it it's it it's the best that they could do, and that's all they needed. Um. Now, like we talked about all the other raid bosses, I'm gonna say this actually had the most. Technically, technically had the most. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It had four raid bosses, but they were all, you you fought them all at the same time. This has the Invincibles, the Invincible Dragons. Ancient Dragons of Destruction. There was Boost the Invincible, Incinerator the Invincible, Helian the Invincible, and Brood the Invincible. They were all each based around an element. Boost was Slag. Incinerator was Incendiary. Helian was Shock. Hey, why don't you let let me talk about the Invincible still? You do a lot of the talking in this, anyways. Uh, all, right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Like you said, Helium, Boost was Slag, Brood was Corrosive, and Serenary was Fire. If you can't tell from his name. Um, and from their, from their names, you should be able to tell what makes them special. I'm not going to... I'm not going to point it out for you, but yes, there are four different enemies here, and it's invincible, and it's considered one invincible, but, you know, because it's my favorite DLC, I'm going to, you know, they're, they're all their own little, little challenge, and it, it can be annoying, and like with any invincible, this, this probably gives the best loot out of any of the invincibles, um, but this DLC is just so much fun. The the raid boss was so much fun. I mean, you, I will admit you did forget to mention uh, there each each of them have certain abilities too. Oh yeah, I was gonna. I I wasn't gonna. Like I said, the names tell you what's special about them. Well, kind of yeah, more more or less. Um, you know what? I, you know what? You're you're right. We should actually just let them experience that on their own from here on out. That's something okay. they should experience on their own. It, it's. I, I still remember the fourth time. Seeing them come up and fighting them. It I will be admit, a pain. <laughs> if you're by yourself, like holy moly. You're they, in for a they, trip. They can overwhelm you. Um. I will admit, they're probably not the most, like, beast invincible. Um, like, there's some other invincibles that would just, that would probably kick their asses, but they're fine. And that's what, that's what they're 
Salem Point is, is the fun. And the references in fantasy stuff in this that you'll find so much fun. Actually, you know what, speaking of, talking about the uh, Pirate DLC, I'm surprised they didn't have no one like Captain Jack Sparrow. Well, uh, since Disney owns those, you have to actually be careful. Okay, well, yeah, I know, but, like, I mean, obviously you don't have to, like, say that, but, like, you know, uh... Well, again, it's... Having Echo fine. It's... Having Echo fine. Someone say something about a jar of dirt. Yeah, I, again, it's Disney. Yeah, they'll, Disney. They'll sue over anything. We're not, we're, we're, no, we're not here to talk about Disney. They're not feeling like being sued either, so I should probably shut up. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's it's for good reason that this DLC is considered the best. It, it just, it's fun, and it's emotional. It's Very good. Very much so. Um... trying to think if there's anything else like to talk about this DLC besides the raid boss, the enemies. I think we should oh, leave I the rest. Admit, I will admit there's one thing um, I will forewarn for you. If you have arachnophobia, there's a certain part that this DLC might not be your friend. Uh-huh. I'll if you have severe arachnophobia, yes. Because, obviously, spiders from that probably you, you can tell there's you know, there's some spiders. Yeah. Um. And the, I mean, it's the spiders ain't you know difficult to fight, but I know some people you know they got they they got some phobias. <laughs> and I just I'm just here to full one. You know. Go ahead and talk. Yep. Um, alright, I think, uh, I think I've said all I gotta say about that. Okay. Well, there is one more DLC that yep. we, that, you know, haven't forgotten about, but I haven't included in these because it is it not an original DLC. Yeah. The game's last DLC is Commander Lilith in the Fight for Sanctuary. It was announced and released on June 9th of 2019. The DLC was released for PC and for their handsome collection version of the game on Xbox One, PS4, and Nintendo Switch. So if you're if, if you're playing this on 360, you can't you can't get this. It's not available there. Um, the story of the DLC picks up after the events of Borderlands 2 and acts as a bridge to the next to the sequel. Um, in the DLC. Um, after the Helio station has crashed on the surface of Pandora, uh, Lilith and the other Vault Hunters struggle with what they have learned from the Vault map of potentially many more vaults on other planets. As they try to figure out some way to make a space-worthy ship, Sanctuary is attacked, attacked by Dahl's Colonel Hector, who, is, who has created a powerful mutant army using a strange floral spore. The group abandons Sanctuary and takes shelter at a former bandit camp, now empty except for its leader, Vaughn, as Hector mutated his followers. 
Vault Hunters work with Vaughn and other allies to take back Sanctuary and the Vault Map from Hector. So, I'm not really going to get too much into this DLC, simply because it leads up to another game we have yet to review. Um, and the game's not even next on our review list. We have one other game in between. Actually, no, two other games in between. Um, yeah. So, I'm not going to go too much into it. I will say um, you probably shouldn't. I, I will admit you probably shouldn't play it um, after you beat the other game. You probably want to play um, two other games beforehand. And I'll go ahead and say what the two games are. You probably want to play Borderlands pre-sequel and uh, Tales from the Borderlands first before you play um, the Commander Lilith and the Fight for Sanctuary DLC. And it's because, you know, you'll get confused on the story if you don't. Only slightly, but you'll still, you still, like, well, you'll question a few things. Like, what? why is this character? What is this character? What is this? If you play those games first everything becomes very clear. Um, I would rate this DLC probably 8 out of 10. It was okay. It wasn't great. Um, it, it was just a DLC that they scrounged together real quick um, just to uh, get people hyped up for the release of Borderlands 3. Um so they, it wasn't like, you know, something that was, you know, well put together or, you know, absolutely wonderful, but, um, yeah, it, it was still okay. Um, they introduced a new rarity of weapon, though I don't know what the rarity's called. It's just rainbow. They're rainbow. So they're, they what, what it'll do is they'll, there'll be multiple colors. What it's is also it? an E. It's also an E. I don't remember the proper name, but it does start with E. It's like Everlifting or something. Something like that. But um, new rarity weapon. You can only find it in that DLC. Um, they're pretty decent weapons. There's not a whole lot. There's not a whole lot of those types of weapons in there though. So um, don't expect to get a lot of those types of weapons. Um, but they do drop pretty frequently at the same time. But um, what what's your rating on this gamer G? I'm gonna have to go with a like a nine point two. Um, it's, uh, it's a good one, um, like, like you said, I'm, I'm not gonna go too much into it, um, because, well, as much as it, it's a scrounge up type of thing, it really is story driven for going to Borderlands 3, <clears throat> and I'm going to tell you guys this right now, um, if you guys are wanting to play the Borderlands games in the proper order that makes sense, you're going to be playing Borderlands 1, then Borderlands pre-sequel, then playing Borderlands 2, stopping before you play um uh five percent the five percent sanctuary and going to Tales of the Borderlands and then continuing Fight for Sanctuary and then Borderlands three. In in my I mean, I will admit 
pre-sequel, you can honestly probably play after um, Borderlands 2, but chronologically order, that's that's technically it. Um, like, like I, I, I had a conversation with um, Game M about if the next one we should talk about was pre-sequel Borderlands 2. Um, but now that I think about it, pre-sequel is just a backstory of a character. Don't won't tell you what character it is. No, no, no details. It, it's not really, it's not really like a, oh crap! I need to play this so I know this. No, you not can't, really. You don't have to. Because it, it did it, come out after Borderlands Two. Again, it's heck, it's called pre sequel. So, I mean, heck, you could. Uh, you know what? Actually, I will admit there are. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop myself there. Um, there there are some funny bosses in Cypher Sanctuary. Um, funny moments like in any Borderlands moment. It's it, it's a it's a fun play. Um, it is it is. But yeah. But let's let's not get too much into it. Oh yeah, I'm I'm definitely not. Um, I will. Like I have with every other uh, um, DLC, talk about the raid boss. Uh, actually, I think is... there are a couple. Uh, I want to say there's only I want to say there's only one official one. I don't remember another one. Um. um okay, sure so there's. Actually, I'll, let, I'll let you. Uh, I'll I'll, about I'll name them if you want to talk about them. You can. Okay. Um. So. Because I, I actually haven't done any of these raid bosses. So there's Hatterax. Okay. And it's Evervescent, by the way. Evervescent. Okay. Yeah. Okay, never mind. It's just a really long explanation on Hatterax. I thought, oh, oh it mentions uh, Dexidius because you have to summon Hatterax in a similar way. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, um, that's that's I mean, why. Okay. He's, he's nowhere near as expensive as no. Dexidius. No. As, I'm just calling him Dex. Um, like, I think him, it's like 80, 80 Iridium. No. Um, no, it is for, for Hatterax? It's only yeah. twenty. You put five iridium and four four receptacles. Oh, that's it. Some reason I thought it was twenty. Um, mm -mm. that tells you how many how often I do him. Um, <laughs> he is a he is a sandworm. Yep. Um, if you're if you're wondering why I kind of sound like just like basic. It's it's because it, it is. I mean, it, he he's don't get me wrong. Like with any of the other invincibles, he's not easy. Um, he's actually kind of annoying if you don't have damage. Um, but he does give decent loot. He's kind of a fun fight, a little bit. Um, 
I mean, maybe one of these days, maybe we'll rate rank these Invincibles. Um, maybe, maybe after towards, we're done with. Maybe towards the end of uh, this section. Yeah, I, 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 maybe, maybe sometime, like after we get done with all the Borderlands games, we have a podcast. Kind of maybe a shorter one that we talk about the raid bosses. I think maybe like a maybe a review episode. Yeah, of each that way of our... gives them all a chance to yeah. play all games. If um, they've been listening for that long, and if they decide to play, which guys, yeah. totally up to you. If these aren't your type of games, that's whatever. If you just enjoy listening, hey, we we appreciate any supporters we can get. Yeah. Um, but. Um, let me see. One thing I wanted to mention is that Hatterax and Dexidius are the only two Invincibles that are not... Oh, one of two of the DLC Invincibles. One of the only two DLC Invincibles that is not a Seraph Guardian. Does not drop Seraph Crystals. That's where they mentioned Dexidius. Dexidius is also not a Seraph Guardian. So he does not drop Seraph Crystals. I don't know if I've ever actually seen Telemorphus drop Seraph Crystals. No, it, it, I'm talking about like DLC. It says actually, he's only no, one of the only two sto- like story DLC raid bosses. It probably doesn't because he's not... They didn't start... Um, no, I know he doesn't. He's not He's uh, not a Seraph Guardian. I'm, because, yeah, they didn't start that until... They didn't start that until DLCs. I'm just saying that. These, oh, I know. I'm yeah. playing that to my enemy. But um, yeah, Terramorphus is not simply because he came out before the Seraph Crystals were even a thing, or the Seraph Guardians. But um, I'm gonna go ahead and list off all the reviews that this game has gotten um all the all the well all the reception more or less um and i'll go over the sales as well um but reception wise metacritic uh gives it a score for each console or each like platform it's released on it gave it an 89 out of 100 for pc it gave it a 91 out of 100 for PS3, 89 out of 100 for Xbox 360, gave it a 64 out of 100 for the Vita, for the P, uh, the PS Vita, um, and gave it a 72 out of 100 for the VR. So obviously the Vita and the VR didn't really get great reviews, which it wasn't really a game intended for those specific platforms, so I understand um, I mean, it, 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 it makes sense in that specific field because, first of all, it, it's definitely not a game that I could look at a small screen and play um, like you would on a PS Vita. Um, and then with VR, I just don't see it doing great with VR. Um, I think it would be awesome to look at, but gameplay-wise, I think it would be a little screwy. Um, 
the other reviews that it got were from Destructoid, Eurogamer, Game Informer, GameSpot, Games Radar Plus, IGN, PC Gamer, US Poly- Polygon, and VentureBeat, which a lot of our listeners might actually know some of these, um, especially Game Informer because Game Informer is like GameStop's own own thing. Um, so Destructoid gave it eight point five out of ten. Eurogamer gave it a nine out of ten. Game Informer was actually the highest review out of them all, and it gave it a 9.75 out of 10. GameSpot gave it 8.5 out of 10. GamesRadar Plus gave it 4 out of 5 stars. IGN gave it a 9 out of 10. PC Gamer US gave it a 90 out of 100, 9 out of 10. Polygon gave it a 7.5 out of 10. Venture Beat gave it a 92 out of 100. The only rating that I really see that's wrong is Polygon, but every I've I've looked at ratings by Polygon and really they're never really super accurate all the time. Um, I don't understand why they gave a 7.5 out of 10 in this situation with this game. Um, I would love to go and actually read the review. Um, oh, here we go. Both Francis and Arthur Gies from Polygon noted their disappointment with the game's opening segment, with Francis saying that it strips the game of everything that makes it good. No idea what they mean by that. No idea why. what part of the game's opening they're upset with. Um, but let me see. Polygon's Arthur Gies also added... Let me see. Hold on. Yeah, Polygon's Arthur Geese also added that the game had MMORPG quest design of the worst kind and felt that Gearbox intentionally lengthened the game by adding unnecessary fillers and content. Yeah, I, apparently Polygon didn't like this game very much, at least the two that reviewed it, which I don't understand why. Honestly, you're always going to find you're always going to find those people who just want to talk crap on, you know, good stuff because we're different. And I feel like that's really what this is. I feel like, you know, they just, they want to be different from all the other reviews. Because everybody else gave it a good review and said good things about it. Um, But, it just... (sighs) They they just wanted to be different, so they just, they they talked bad on it. You know, which is upsetting. Um, But it's the only review... That was really bad, except for like the the port overs to the PS Vita and the VR. Those are the only two other other re- reviews that were bad, and those are for you know decently obvious reasons. Sales. Yeah. Uh, Borderline Borderlands Two is a major commercial success. It was the most pre-ordered game in two K's history. It was the best-selling retail game in the UK in its week of release, outselling competitors including F One Twenty Twelve. And Pro Evolution Soccer 2013, which those are big games over in the UK and over in Europe in general. Uh, It secured the biggest launch for a game in the UK in 2012, surpassing the record previously held by Mass Effect 3. And quadrupled the first game sales in the same period of time. More than 70% of the sales were generated from the Xbox 360 version. Xbox 360 Master Race. Kidding. Um... In the U.S., it was the second-best-selling retail game of the month, selling more than 1.82 million units. So 1.82 million units in one month in the U.S. alone. 
It was the seventh best-selling game in the UK and the tenth best-selling game in the US in 2012. Which, if you look at 2012 games, uh, pretty sure, didn't Skyrim come out in 2012? I don't know. Let me look it up real quick. It was 2012 or 2011. It was 2011. But it was late 2011, so... I mean, let me see. Top games released in 2012. The top games released in 2012. Far Cry 3, Dishonored, uh, The Walking Dead Telltale, Mass Effect 3, um, XCOM Enemy Unknown, Halo 4, um, Diablo 3. Yeah, it, it, it was definitely... Black Ops 2, Assassin's Creed 3, um, Sleeping Dogs, uh, Darksiders 2, um, the World of Warcraft expansion, uh, Mists of Pan uh, Pandoria, Pandaria, uh, which I mean, I don't know if that would count among that, but still. Um, Resident Evil Revelations. I mean, NBA 2K13, Lego Lord of the Rings. It released during a time um, where a lot of... Max Payne 3, uh, Dragon's Dogma, a lot of top-tier games that, I mean, we see a lot of people still play nowadays. I still play a lot of Dishonored, and, you know, I still play Black Ops 2 and Assassin's Creed 3 and Diablo 3. I mean, a lot of really good games were released this year, so being in the top 10 is still really good. Yeah. Um, but let's see. On uh, November 1st of 2012, Take-Two Interactive announced they had shipped 5 million copies. So being released for like three months, already sold 5 million copies. The revenue and earnings for Take-Two in the second quarter surpassed the company's expectation with the success of Borderlands 2 being cited as one of the contributing factors. In February of 2014, 2K Games announced that the game had sold more than 8.5 million units, making it the most successful commercial release for the publisher. It sold more than 12 million, uni million units as of March of 2015. In 2019, Take-Two announced that the game had shipped more than 20 million units and added that the game managed to maintain 1 million monthly users nearly 8 years following its release. So that's telling you this wasn't just a great game on release. This game stayed with people afterwards and had continuing, you know, continuing players, continuing, you know, factors. You know, they, they continued to make sales years and years down the line. Um... It won. It won a few awards, but it was nominated for quite a bit. Um, for the 2012 Spike Video Game Awards, um, it was nominated for Studio of the Year, Best Xbox 360 Game, Best PS3 Game, Best Shooter, Best Multiplayer Game, Best Performance by Human Male, um, for Handsome Jack's voice actor, Best DLC. Uh, for the Mechromancer pack and Character of the Year Claptrap. It won the Best Shooter, Best Multiplayer Game, the Best Performance by a Human Male, and Character of the Year. I don't know how Claptrap wins Character of the Year, but he did it. 
uh, for the 40th Annie Awards. Uh, it was nominated for Best Animated Video Game, but it did not win. 16th Annual Dice Awards in 2013. Uh, it was nominated for Game of the Year, Action Game of the Year, Outstanding Achievement in Art Direction, Outstanding Achievement in Online Gameplay, and Outstanding Achievement in Character, Male or Female, for Tiny Tina. Um, it won Action Game of the Year. For 9th British Academy Games Awards, it was nominated for Game Design, Action, Artistic Achievement, and Online Multiplayer. It didn't win anything. Uh, for the National Academy of Video Game Trade Reviewers Awards, it was nominated for Game of the Year, Animation, Control Precision, Lead Performance in a Comedy uh, for Claptrap, and Supporting Performance in a Comedy, Handsome Jack, and Writing in a, com uh, in, in a Comedy. It won lead performance in a comedy and supporting performance in a comedy. So the you know voice actors for Claptrap and Handsome Jack were good enough that they won those awards. Uh, for the Game Developers Choice uh, Choice Awards awards, it was nominated for Best Visual Arts. Uh, for Golden Joystick Awards, uh, it was nominated for Game of the Year, Best Multiplayer, and Best Visual Design. And BGX, it was nominated for Best DLC, which was Tiny Tina's Assault on Dragon Keep. Um, so, out of all the awards that it, uh, that they were nominated, they won seven. Um, so, I mean, I'd say that, I mean, that's that's pretty good, you know? Um, for, for a game like this, um, it was, uh, they, they did really well. Um, they had a game of the year edition to it. Um, I mean, it, I think the biggest reason why it didn't win more awards is again, because it was released during a year where a lot of top games were released. Um, the, the two biggest honorable, you know, notes to that are Black Ops 2 and Disarm. Those, those two games right there, you know, I wouldn't say they overshadowed Borderlands 2, but they definitely made it harder for Borderlands 2 to be considered the top game of the year. Um, but my overall rating of Borderlands 2 9.8 out of 10. And I would highly recommend it to everybody. At least to try it. It is definitely worth it. Great game. I enjoyed it. I, I, I enjoy it every time I play it. Story is great. Gameplay is great. Graphics are actually, you know, they're they're good graphics. You know, they're, they're unique. They're individual. Definitely would recommend to everybody what do you rate this game overall gamer g go with 10, 10 out of 10 10 out of 10 yeah and i would definitely recommend this to everybody in the grandmas you know like that like i wouldn't recommend it to too many grandmas man the grandmas might have heart uh, attacks. Uh, I mean, 